five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! All right, and here we go with the Anthrax State of Euphoria review. I'm Eric Jordan RMCP with a nice can of Four Local because I am fucking on a budget this week and I need something to get me fucked up. And well, Four Local is like three dollars, and it's the equivalent of drinking a entire six pack or entire twelve pack of beer by yourself. And I am joined with Eduardo Canastracci and Edwin I'll, or Eduardo. I'll let you introduce our special special guest. Well, it's uh, the one and only Joseph Strobe, or Strobe, or Stove, or how the fuck do you say his uh, name? Oh, you already fucked up his name, now he's going <laughs> to leave us. <laughs> how do you pronounce your last name? Staub. 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 Like, like st- I, it's like a rich person trying to say stub. <laughs> I stubbed my foot. <laughs> I stubbed my foot. Okay, Joseph, sorry for murdering your name, but, but and you have not been here since the last episode of the Metal Dungeon. Yep. I know, I'm, I, this is my first episode of the rebrand, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, but you were on a very important episode, because that was essentially the transitional episode, so yep. you saw us transition from the old yellowed, <laughs> uh the Metal Dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to our yeah. new identity, but, but we now, we identify as rock and roll. So. I know, I was here the first time you guys put a dress on. It was it was a great experience. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway, it's great to have you back, Joseph. Back to have you on the official Rock All Over You podcast. It's awesome. And we threw just the general idea of anthrax at you. We, because me and Eric... We were going to do Among the Living, weren't we? Yeah, that's what you said. You said Among the Living, and I wanted to kind of backtrack a little from that. And, and <laughs> so, so I just threw the option at you. I was like, you sure? I was very, I was being passive-aggressive. I was like, you sure you want to do Are You Living? I mean, I'm cool with that. No problem with doing it. But you sure you don't want to do one of their other albums? And then you said, well, let's throw it to Joseph. And then we threw it to you. And then you picked the exact album I would want to talk about. So good job, Joseph. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even Thank God, because I'm actually able to get through the sound, whereas Among the Living, that, that one's hard to get through. I'm not going to lie. Spoiler alert for if we do do Among the Living. I said doo-doo. If we do do Among the Living in the future, uh, holy shit, that's a hard to get through album. First half is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and Joseph were actually just talking about that before we started recording, about like how that album is like, it, it, like the first like three songs are like really good, and then uh, the rest is just like, takes a... Uh, steam and piss. Yeah, I I go over the first four songs. I like nice fucking life, but after that, it does no dive. And it's not like anything's bad on the second side. It's, it's just, just there. It's just kind of there. It's just kind of like it's weird. It's like there's a lot of stellar tracks, and then suddenly it's a whole album of thrash thriller, a uh, filler. I, I will I will say, whoever decided that Indians was this great song that should be played everywhere. I, I'm not going to agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's not that good. Not that good of a song. And it was like, wasn't it like the lead-off single? Oh, yeah. It was like the big hit. It was like... Oh, my God. It was the video. It was the hit. 
It, Especially, it's the one that they... It's like the only Anthrax song. If you listen to Sirius XM, you put on Ozzy's Boneyard or something, that is the only Anthrax song you will ever hear on that station. So crazy, and that album has like caught an homage in I Am The Law. Like, oh, yeah. oh god, I hate I Am The Law. Yeah, that but that song sucks. I like that song. I'm not... Oh. Uh, yeah, I like that song. Hey, it's memorable. It's it's obviously more of a single than Indians should have been, in my opinion. I mean, uh, I like Indians better, and I can see why people hate Indians. I can see why people hate the song Indian. Not Indians the people, but the, the song Indians. Well, maybe it's because they hate Indians the people, too. Maybe they're yeah, yeah, maybe it's just a bunch of Indian haters out there. Jesus hey, Christ. Fucking Joey Belladonna was just representing his people. His yeah, yeah. But I, admittedly, it ain't no uh, native blood like ta- Testament. <laughs> oh yeah, there that, that, that Fuck yeah, that's a good fucking Native American thrash song. <laughs> Hell yeah! But uh, I can't. Could we agree that "Called in the Mosh" is a great song? Oh, oh that's yeah. a great song. I love that. Song. I think that was the first Anthrax song I ever fucking heard. Was "Caught in the Mosh." That's good. And the and the title track's good. The title track, I think. Oh, "Among the Living," that song fucking yeah kicks ass. So we'll agree that it has two good songs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's Among the Living is my least favorite of their '80s albums, actually. And I agree with you. I, I get. I listened to it again this afternoon because I didn't want to be like a contrarian. I didn't want counterculture. I didn't want people to think I was just saying that because it seems to be. Well, let's just say this. I mean, most of the people I know like. Uh, spreading the disease the best but I feel like when I step back from our group of people we know like in the RMCP army it seems to be among the living seems to be the most popular That's yeah I, me and Joseph were talking about too like right before we came on that I think it's because I, I think it's just because of the time it came out and it's lumped in with all these you know master of puppets which is generally like considered the best Metallica album I disagree but that one's considered their best album um, I think, uh, did, wasn't Raining Blood, didn't Raining Blood Rain come blood, out in 86? Rain and Blood and Peace Cells both also came out in 86. Yeah, so it's like, it they all kind of get lumped All in. the big four, like, came out with, like, what's considered by the masses as their best album, so I think that's probably why. I think yeah. it just came out at that time. Yeah, well, you know, the fucking masses. I'll say this, like, Master of Puppets... The masses are a bunch of asses. Master of Puppets, like, objectively, I can hear it's a great album. I get... And I... It is a great album. I love Master of Puppets. It's my third favorite Metallica album. But I can hear... I can understand why people might think it's the best. I get it. But, you know, we know scientifically that Ride the Lightning's better. But people deny science all the time. So, <laughs> it's, it's my favorite, I guess. Um, Ride Lightning's my all-time favorite. <laughs> what, Joseph, is it what, Master or Ride? Master. My okay, best so there you go. Oh. My best friend, Ride, is his favorite, and mine's Master, and we always go back and forth. And he, he always he always goes all in on Ride, I always go all in on Master. I just think, I, I love, both albums are neck and neck, I think they're two of the greatest albums of all time, but I always lean towards Master. It was my first Metallic album. Well, I will say this, Master of Reality is more like it, it's the most like the greatest metallica album out of any other album because it's the most like ride the lightning so so <laughs> so it's a good picture so. <laughs> thank you thank you in that in that uh let's see in the in the, in the, in the sort of backwards way that we came to that logical <laughs> Hey, it's what I always say about for those about the Rock Resolute. I'm kind of the other way on that because I I always tell people I like that more than Back in Black. But really, that's just Master Rea- That's just the uh, Master of Puppets to Back in Black's Ride the Lightning. If you know what I mean, it it's just it kind is. of the, the slicker part two. 
But yeah, I don't know. I can definitely hear too on Master of Puppets that the the sound they were going for because James is already starting to change his voice to that vocal style that I fucking hate, where he's cleaning up his vocals. He doesn't got like the more like like nastier sounding voice. Yeah. And Joseph, real quick, like, who, who the heck is that on your Skype picture? I always thought it was Johnny Depp and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but obviously it's not. It is uh, Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor from Doctor Who. Okay. Okay, so did, I, I just see a JS. Why am I not seeing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just seeing... Oh, man. Yeah, I, dude, for the longest time, I, I thought it was Johnny Depp from Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I'm like, I thought Joseph had good taste in movies. Like, what the <laughs> oh, fuck? I, 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 no. Yeah, that's, that's, not that's, that's not the real Will. That's not the real Willie. Yeah, Wonka Gene Wilder's Willie Wonka, Wonka, Wonka goddammit. Gene Wilder or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. So I don't know shit about Doctor Who. Is that like me either? Which Doctor Who's that? Uh, Not the woman one, right? No, it's the he's the fourth Doctor. He's the one with the like. If people think of the of the Doctor, he's the one that people want to think of with the hat and the scarf. And oh, okay, okay. The, mean, one, like the one from the seventies. Yes, the one from the seventies. Yeah. So he was the fourth okay. one. Yes. How, yeah. how long was that goddamn show on for? Yeah. How it, long is it? The first episode aired the day JF Kennedy was shot. Jesus Christ. I didn't know it went back that far. Yep, uh, November, whatever, 1963. I had a friend, a Mormon friend, who was obsessed with Doctor Who, and his girlfriend, and this girl he dated was obsessed with Doctor Who. I just, I never got around to, like, checking it out or anything. It, so it, it, it's an acquired taste. So is the, I fourth, bet. the fourth Doctor Who is kind of like Deep Purple Mark II? Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, trying, trying to put this in rock like, and roll terms. Yeah. Yes, yes. The fourth Doctor is like is like the Purple Mark too. Yeah. That's how I, that's pretty good. Pretty good analogy, actually. That's how my mind works. Uh, so, Joseph, what have you been up to these days? Oh, a uh, lot of work, music, movies. That's about it. Nice, <laughs> nice. fucking life. What else can you oh, do? Oh yeah. I just uh, before we got on here, I was watching. I just got in the mail a couple days ago. I've been on a striper kick lately. I saw him a couple weeks ago at uh, the M3 Rock Festival. And I've been on a striper kick lately, so I was watching the DVD that I got in, uh, Striper Live at the Whiskey from 2014. Now, are you, uh, we don't have to get too deep in this, are you a religious man, or do you just like your music a lot? Or both? Both, actually. Um, So, yeah. Uh, No, I I am, but uh, also, I just really, really enjoy the music. Especially, like, sort of like Dr. Fuck, I like their new stuff, especially. I think your new stuff's even better than their 80s oh, stuff. Oh, definitely. Because their new yeah. stuff made me, like, when I started off with Striper, I was more of a casual fan, but when they started releasing those new albums, like, I, I became, like, more of a diehard fan. I mean, they, they, they're one of those few bands that, like, they got better with age. I agree. And I, honestly, I don't even listen. I have uh, Soldiers and uh, Tell with the Devil on vinyl. I don't listen to them very much. They put out a CD uh, probably about ten years ago called Second Coming. Where they, oh, yeah. where they re-recorded over half of both of those albums, plus a couple songs from their first EP, and it sounds so much better. It, it's his Mark. voice isn't nearly as high. Yeah, it, it sounds like their modern stuff. It's it's heavier, and it, it, it's it's still the same songs, but it sounds better. Mark's been telling me to check that album out. I may have to check it out now. It is really really good. I really enjoy it. It's it's little, it's the best songs off of the first three so it's you're not getting into any of the weird ballad crap oh god yeah they had some fucking shitty like oh, debbie yeah. gibson sounding fucking oh, ballads yeah. on their and albums the, the best part about this 
about this re-recording album is it doesn't have honestly on it. So, oh Jesus, yeah. Honestly, I like to have them stop playing that fucking song. I am happy to say I've seen them twice and I've never seen them play that song live. So they, they, they got the message. <laughs> I, I saw them live and they actually did play that song. I know they're oh, playing God. it right now, but because yeah. I was at a festival, it was like they cut a couple songs, and thankfully that one was one of the ones they cut. I was like with Queensrÿche cutting Saint City out of the set when they opened for Priest. Goddamn, yeah. I would love to see that show. <laughs> I know. I, I was, I was like, oh my god, this is Eric's Evan right here. <laughs> yeah, for real. They know who their audience are, but it seems like Striper's kind of going in that direction too. Like they know it's just the deep, it's the hardcore at this point. <laughs> so they're kind of it sounds like they're catering to it. I saw them in Jersey a few years back, actually, just a few years back for my older brother who was a fan at Stone Pony. Which is oh, a legend. You might know about that venue because you're uh, on isn't the. Isn't that the North. venue John Bon Jovi always talks about? Like, oh yeah, yeah. guys, we, we played this one back at the Stone Pony. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen that, had a that's start like there. Jersey, what like Hammerjacks is to Baltimore. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's a famous Jersey venue, and it's a cool venue, and I went there. And who, who was I getting drunk with at the bar? It was someone. Oh yeah, it was a guy that was in. What was the band? Um. Danger, danger. It was not danger, danger. <laughs> it was the band TNT. Oh, was, TNT. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. I was getting drunk with Tony Harnell. Tony Harnell's yeah. band? Yeah. Yeah, I was getting drunk with the bassist from that band. Oh, While nice. Striper was oh, on for like dollar. the first set. Yeah, it was cool. He was just like a local getting drunk there. And it's just like, you and his Striper? He's like, no, this is just my bar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'll just hang with you. And it's like, oh, I know your band. I know, I know, well, I know your singer. <laughs> I love 10,000 Lovers in One, man. Fuck, that's, I should that's check a great out song, that but definitely do not have 10,000 Lovers because that shit will give you chlamydia. <laughs> but eventually I, saw, I sauntered in uh, for Striper, and they were good. Like, I'm not I'm not a fan, I'll admit it. I'm not a big fan of their music, but I, you know, I can admit that the, I can hear that they're talented, you know, and, you know, Sweet's a great vocalist, and he was a good front man. And it, it's just not, it's not really for me, but I can hear, and I can hear that their newer stuff's a little better than their older stuff, but it's just not really my thing. But they were good, they were good live, it was a good show, so, uh, you know, thumbs up to Striper. But, I don't know, I feel like if they got into Satan a little bit more, it would, it would, <laughs> it would, it would help, it would have helped them. Hey, I will admit, man, it takes balls for them to do what they do, because it's easy to be a metal band and just go for the whole Satan route. But, man, it takes some balls to be a heavy metal band and, like, write Christian lyrics. Because you know you're going to get ridiculed for it. You know people are going to give you crap about it. And even Christians will probably give you crap about it. Oh, yeah. They so, got, man, Jimmy they got some Swagger. balls to do that. Jimmy Swagger went up on national television and said that they were the spawns of the devil. Oh, yeah. there's a song on this album that we're reviewing that talks kind of about <laughs> those guys that uh, have some shit to say. <laughs> I was thinking about that almost immediately as soon as mm-hmm. Joseph revealed yeah. himself as a man of God. <laughs> but I was like, thinking, like, this is it. Yeah, by the 80s, a lot of that satanic stuff got corny, so to kind of, you know... It just getting easy. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Just, 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 just to give Satan his due. <laughs> Jimmy Page in the seventies. Some of those and Black Sabbath. Some of that dark art stuff that helped. That helped. Oh hell yeah! That you need a little bit of the evil along with the good. But look at Black Sabbath. They were both. They were. They were dealing with devils and Christianity in their music and and the whole battle of the two. And and you need it. I'm just saying, Joseph. Don't totally deny that Satan has a role in in things. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I love listening Trust to me. fucking Venom. Believe uh, especially me, the hell down the rules. You know, you just you don't want Satan to totally be removed from the party, or else oh, music's no. not going to be good. 
Uh, anyway, this is fun. So, um, Eric, yes. what's, what's your history with anthrax? Oh, man. So, <laughs> there was one day, one day, me and my dad, man, we discovered a lot, of, he helped me discover a lot of heavy metal bands, and there's also a lot of bands we discovered together. My dad was doing Columbia House at the time, you know, it was my weekend to, you know, it was going to be my weekend to go over to his house, you know, obviously my parents were divorced, and he just got a bunch of new CDs from Columbia House, and he's like, hey, Eric, you know, he called me up on, it was like Thursday or something, he's like, hey, man, when you come over this weekend, I got some badass albums that you need to check out that I just got, so I got two bands, Anthrax and Pantera, and I feel bad for Anthrax, because band Pantera just blew them the fuck away, but <laughs> he got, that, that's it was, funny, actually. <laughs> he got um what was it it wasn't attack of the killer bees it was the re- the return of the killer a's which was like the like a compilation album it had like the first half was like john bush and the second half was joey belladonna and then he also got the dvd uh equivalent of it and we watched the dvd and my dad was literally like obsessed with uh the jackson v that uh dan spitz had they actually he bought a, a jackson a black jackson v just like uh Dan Spitz had in this in this video because they had some concert footage from the Persistence of Time tour, and I watched it and I thought Anthrax is pretty badass, man. I loved Caught in a Mosh. Uh, I loved when they did I Am the Man and like I, you know you see Joey Belladonna on the drums and then you, they're like rapping. And it's kind of funny, you know, and uh, had some really good stuff on there. Um, but obviously, I I didn't get too into Anthrax. Um, I, I, I like them, but I didn't get too into their stuff because mainly my dad gravitated towards the John Bush stuff. And yeah. so that's mainly what I heard because when he went out and bought more albums by them, it was the John Bush stuff. John Bush stuff. And I like John Bush in Armored Saint. Did not like his stuff with Anthrax too much. Uh, and that's really not John Bush's fault. That's mainly Anthrax's fault. They're just doing something different that I just didn't really care for. I agree 100%, yeah. 110%, and we'll go a little more into that when um, I get into it, but I got a lot yeah. to say about the John Bush and Joey Belladonna thing, but I agree. Yeah, I, I, just, and I, loved, I loved, though, that, that Attack of the Killer A's or Return of the Kill, whatever the fuck that DVD was called, and my dad literally had, like, my dad's one of those people, if he sees a good deal on something, he'll buy it, even though it makes no sense. He bought three copies of that DVD because... He saw it on sale at, like, FYE for, like, two bucks or something, and so he had, like, three copies of it. And I literally asked him, like, hey, Dad, can I have one of the other copies of that DVD, you know, since you got, like, fucking three of them? And he's like, no, man, because there's, like, a resale value of this and that. I'm like, motherfucker, you got three of them. Like, why can't I just have one? Um, but, yeah, it was just, yeah, I not the biggest Anthrax fan, but I have warmed up to them definitely more recently. Uh, I don't think they're as bad as I, you know, thought, but they're definitely not one of my favorites, and I definitely think uh, Overkill or Exodus should be in the big four instead of them, but, I mean, honestly, it's just popularity and Anthrax, like, you know, they attracted uh, the, the masses more, and I, you know, I don't have anything against them, uh, they're not bad, especially since they're from New York, uh, typically, for those of you who don't know me, I don't really like New York or things that come from New York, but Anthrax, they're, they're alright in my book. But um, the funny thing is, I bought this album at uh, Half Price Books like a couple of years back. And it was literally just because of the album artwork. I was not real big on Anthrax. I was basically strictly, I liked Fistful of Metal, Spraying the Disease, and like a couple songs here and there. Uh, this album I never heard before because the only song I knew was Antisocial, which I'll get into that song, but 
spoiler alert, I didn't like it that much. So I thought this album, you know, I'll avoid it. And a lot of people said they hated this album. Like Anthrax fans don't like this album. I saw it at Half Price Books for like literally five dollars on CD. Literally bought it just because the album artwork. Uh, the booklet even had a bunch of like cartoony like comic book pictures. And I thought it was cool. I'm like, I'll buy it just for the artwork and I'll check it out. Checked it out, man, and holy shit, this album just just blew me away. And it's it's up there, man. It's I Fistful of Metal is still my favorite Anthrax. Uh, my favorite Anthrax release is the Armed and Dangerous EP, but as far as albums go, Fistful of Metal is still my favorite. But this one's pretty damn close to taking over that number one spot. It's not quite there yet, but it's my number two favorite. This album fucking rules, and I, I'm glad they put killer album artwork on it, or else I may have not given it a shot. But that's kind of my, my story with Anthrax, and I actually may be seeing them in August. Uh, it's in Gary, Indiana, so I'm kind of hesitant. Uh, but it's Black Label Society, Anthrax, uh, Hatebreed's going to be there. That's going to be like the beer line band for me, because I'm not a Hatebreed fan. Uh, but I may go. It's gonna be at like the Hard Rock Casino, so I think it should be safe. So I may, ch- <laughs> I actually may go see him in the concert. So I guess uh, Eduardo, how, how did you get into Anthrax? I got into Anthrax, I guess fairly early on. Um, you know, I'm older than both of you kids. Uh, I was in junior high <laughs> when Persistence of Time came out, and oh, I was I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. These people older than me, even if you can imagine that. <laughs> I'm kind of right in the middle. Um, anyway, so Persistence of Time came out. Oh well, oh maybe you were saying you're sorry about Persistence of Time. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't get. It. I I love that album. I'm gonna. Just oh, say, I hate that fucking. I, really? I think that album's better than Among the Living as well. I think every '80s I mean, that's album. That's hard, but. Uh, I think every '80s album is better than Among the Living. Plus. Persistence. I would put yeah, uh, persistence to be able to listen to that fucking album. I I know. I I don't get. I don't know. I don't get why you all hate Persistence of Time. I think it's a great tuneful uh, thrash album that has a lot of great hooks and melodies, and I really dig it. And top notch singing. And I'll get into that a little bit when we talk about Joey Belladonna. But I really that was my entry point. It was you know I saw the Got the Time video. <clears throat> I'm a I was just beginning to be a bassist you know so any any song that had like a cool bass intro boom i was already in bass solo yeah so i yeah on top of that i do love that song yeah so i and i you know i knew it was a cover but you know it was an interesting cover just like and we'll probably have a fight over the cover on this album oh yeah (laughs) but to me you know on that last episode we did about megadeth you know, well, you know what? I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that for when we talk about antisocial, about the difference between a cool cover and a, a kind of lazy cover. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but got the time. It was, you know, regardless of knowing the origin of the song, all I knew it was a rocking little catchy tune. It had a fucking bass solo. I was in. I was like, hey, this is cool. Okay, I've seen the t-shirts. <laughs> I've seen the t-shirts around school, and now I'm in. By this point, I had already gotten into Metallica and Testament. I feel like... Anthrax, I, I don't know exactly if it was Megadeth or Anthrax. One of those two bands were the third thrash band I got into. And so it was around the same time. It was 1990. I feel like it might have been Megadeth, so I feel like Anthrax was probably the fourth. So Anthrax was probably like the fourth thrash band. My big four had like Substitute substitute Slayer with Testament. You know, I couldn't get into Slayer. They were too heavy for me back then. <laughs> but uh, I love them now, but I couldn't get into them then. 
But so my big four was Metallica, Megadeth, Testament, and Anthrax. So I got into Anthrax, and I really liked them a lot. And the thing is, I love that album. And then you know I got the earlier albums. I did not like this album at first, and、Ooh. I likened it a lot to AC's AC/DC's Flick of the Switch. You know, there's a lot of about this album that remind me of Flick of the Switch. That's a good comparison. Yeah, and but not just the obvious thing that all the songs kind of sound alike, and it's very kind of simple and kind of just like in the same way that Flick of the Switch is just straight up hard rock that and just keeps hitting you and hitting you and hitting you, and then it's out. This is like the same thing for a thrash album; just keeps hitting you and hitting you, and then it's out. It's very simple,、uh, deceptively simple. And it's it's a very like basic thrash album, which is one of the things I love so much about it now. But at the time, but also like Flick of the Switch, the first time I listened to this album, I had a cassette of it, and I had a cassette of Flick of the Switch, and this is before the album was remastered. And I can tell you that that original, I don't know, I'm, I imagine the CD from the '80s didn't sound any better, but I can tell you that original mastering. It just sounded very thin. It was a very thin-sounding album.、It、didn't sound as full as, as full as their other albums, and because there was a sameness to the songs, it just it didn't really have a lot of power to it. It just sounded kind of boring, and it, it didn't have any energy or power to it. What was the real rediscovery for this album for me was a few years back, you know,、uh, for the anniversary when they had to they finally remastered it.、Mm-hmm. I got remastered. And this was very similar to Flick of the Switch back in the early 2000s when AC/DC's, you know, had their remasters. It was when I heard the Flick of the Switch remaster on CD that suddenly that album really popped for me. Like suddenly, because it's not about the songs; it's about the texture. It's about just the the vibe and groove and texture of that album. And if you just like the sound of the guitars, you're gonna. You're pretty much halfway there. I said that about Point of Entry too, Judas Priest. Like,、mm-hmm. if you like the way the guitars sound, you'll like the whole fucking album. You know, even when the the songwriting kind of drops a little bit in the second half. You know, it's just you like that sound. You like the sound of the album. And Flick of the Switch is like that. It's like one song almost. And when I finally got, when I finally listened to the remaster of this song album, it was like. I suddenly it was like I just loved every song because I just loved how it sounded. Like suddenly it just had more power, more bottom, the the sound of the guitars, and suddenly everything just popped for this album in a way that had never popped before. And it kind of instantly moved up to like my third favorite Anthrax album. Oh, what would your top three be then? Well, no, it's changed since, since today. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, you're gonna hear some madness now. Let me tell you something.、Uh, my top three up until today was, I would say,、uh, yeah, it was spreading the disease was my favorite. Then it was persistence. Actually, was my second. I do love this. I do love Pistol、uh, Metal. That's probably my fourth favorite. It's still my fourth.、Nice. My、uh, three would be. My three would definitely be.、Uh, Fistful of Metal,、uh, excuse me, Armed and Dang, the Armed and Dangerous EP. I'll just count that one as a as an album. You know, it's an EP. Armed and Dangerous, Fistful of Metal, and Stay Euphoria. Yeah, I'm not counting the EP, obviously.、Uh, but if I, I mean, this is the thing. I'll say, and I, I love Fistful of Dollars. 
I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fistful of Metal. I yeah, love Fistful of Metal. Too. <laughs> I love Fistful of Metal and the vocals on that album and all that. Uh, featured my second favorite Anthrax singer. But I know, I'm a Joey Belladonna guy. I feel like if he's saying that album, I'd like it more. And in a way, we kind of get that with this album. Because this is the most straight up, just straightforward thrash album they've ever done since the first one. But with Joey Belladonna doing the vocals. But anyway, all I got to say is now it's my favorite. Today I decided that State of Euphoria is my favorite Anthrax album. Dude, fuck yeah. I just said, fuck it, this is my favorite one. This <laughs> is one I like going back to the most these days. It might change in a few years, but right now in the uh, the uh, good lord's year 2022. <laughs> the year of our lord. It is fucking Anthrax State of Euphoria. It's my favorite Anthrax album. I am gonna fucking gush all over this motherfucker when we go track to. Oh shit! Bring some tissue. Bring some Kleenex. Bring some Kleenex because I'm gonna gush on this album. <laughs> it finally clicked on me. So yeah, Anthrax was always like number four for me. You know, my big four. In terms of the big four, all I can say is, yeah, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone that thinks Anthrax should be in the big four. Do you know any? No. No. Here's the thing with Anthrax, man. If, if the big four are like, we're, we're making it like people. Metallica's like the, the cool guy in the group, but he gets a girlfriend later on in life and like, kind of <laughs> like abandons the group and becomes kind of a dick. Yep. Uh, Megadeth is like the, is like, just like Metallica, but they'll stay with you. And then Slayer is like the weird guy in the group that's like, kind of like insane and crazy and whatnot, but real fun to be around. Anthrax are like the like the screech. If this is saved by the fucking <laughs> bell of like of like heavy metal, they're the screech. They're like the guys like why the fuck is he like hanging out with them? You know, they're like the kids like reading comic books with headgear, you know, on the school bus. You know, nothing against Anthrax, but I mean like let's be serious here. They're they're the kids with headgear reading comic books. Yeah, and that's when they were kind of at their best, in my opinion. I think the biggest problem... And don't worry, Joseph, we're going to get to you. <laughs> you know, Joseph's being left out in the cold here. <laughs> we'll, we've'll bring you back, but you're the guest. That's the burden of the guest to say, you got to listen to me and Eric talk a lot. <laughs> uh, this is the thing. Anthrax, more than any other band, any of the major thrash bands, of the big A, you know, we know the big A, you know, because we would include Death Angel, Exodus, Testament, and Overkill. Yeah. yeah. So that's the big eight. And you know what? Anthrax comes in at number eight, kind of, (laughs) in that group. So they definitely don't deserve to be number four. I will say that if they had played things differently, they they could have fastened themselves in there to be legit number four or five or six in that place. They were never going to be in the top three. No way. I think uh, the biggest problem with Anthrax is they had something, they did have something unique, and I felt like they they kept straying away from it or second-guessing themselves. Exactly. Yeah, they were, they were like kind of dorky and like weird. They wore like the colorful, they wore like the shorts and like the colorful outfits and they're more goofier and not as serious as some of the other... I mean, they did have some serious lyrics, but they're really goofy, and their overall, like, attitude and presence and whatnot was very goofy and fun-loving. Uh, something very different than most thrash bands, and I feel like they kept trying to get away from that too much and trying to be too serious when they had something that made them unique and stand out. And I feel that was kind of their biggest problem, that's kind of why they're, like, you know, the redhead stepchild of uh, the Big Four. I agree 110%. That's exactly the problem. I don't think there's any thrash band that has more of an identity crisis than Anthrax. Yep. It just seems like Scott 
Ian just, you know, and I don't know why the guy who just plays rhythm guitar and writes the lyrics somehow is the leader of the band, but he was the leader real. of the band. <laughs> Benate is more of a fucking leader. Yeah, uh, he actually wrote he the drums, song. he writes guitar stuff, he even plays guitar on some of the later albums. He writes, he writes like, shit too. He writes a lot of the music, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but for whatever reason, Scott he Ian... the beats he beats. ...is the, <laughs> the leader of the band. And let's just say Scott Ian might be a great guitarist. I think he's a good lyricist, too. But he's a shit band leader, because he made a yeah. lot of bad decisions. And one he's of a the, shit person, from what I hear, too. He's kind of a dick. He is a dick. And, you know, and this is usually the case with dicks, is that they lack objectivity. He could never see what made Anthrax unique and special. And it's the very thing you're talking about. The fact that they were a little goofier, that they were a little more like they had the skater punkist, you know, kind of, uh, you know, persona. That they had Joey Belladonna as a singer, you know? They, they, oh, they, my God, yeah. Like, say, like, he never appreciated that. He never understood that that's what made him different from all the other thrash bands. And he got very caught up in this idea in the 90s, which destroyed them as a band, commercially, in my yeah. opinion. Is the, it was this idea that they should be dark and extreme. Like, not even extreme, just dark and kind of... Um, just dark, I guess, and kind yeah. of more tough, tough. Yeah, and tough. We we need a... And this is the thing. John Bush... Well, love him. Great love singer. John Bush, but... Love him, um, Arter, Armored Saint. Great vocalist for Armored Saint. His raspy vocal delivery fits that music perfectly. To me, it's like wrong hand in the wrong glove. Does not fit Anthrax. Yeah. It fits You were talking about Joey Baldana being the singer, and I think that's a huge thing, because... I know Ian, uh, our good friend Ian Wiley from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast mentioned it. Uh, Joey Baldana, he's a reason like so many people were able to get into thrash because thrash music, you know, thrash metal bands they they have that singing style. They have a little bit more not traditional singing voice. It's a little bit more rougher vocals or guys that really aren't like great technical singers. You know, it's it's a different style of music. Uh, he's one of the guys that really helped people bridge from just traditional heavy metal, like guys like Bruce Dickinson and like Rob Halford, to like getting into thrash because he had more of a traditional singing voice. He's a great singer. Yep. I mean, he even does like uh, he has like solo projects where he does like you know like Journey and stuff like this. He's a he's a phenomenal singer. And I think he helped a lot of people get into thrash. He helped people like kind of ease into thrash a little bit more. Where like. Someone may not like Tom Morello's like crazy like vocal styling or Dave Mustaine's crazy voice, but they'll listen to uh, but they'll listen to Joey Belladonna because he sings in more of a traditional style, but still like thrash metal, you know. So it's, they're, they're like kind of like a a way to ease into thrash music in a way because they got more traditional style vocalists and they're a little bit more fun. They're not as serious, so a lot of people can listen to Anthrax and then slowly like get into bands like Slayer and Overkill and whatnot because of Anthrax. So, I mean, his vocal, you can't deny, whether you like Anthrax or you're not as big of a fan, you got you can't deny they are really an important band. Yeah, his, uh, his, he, he, not only is he, like, a real, really good singer, which is unique for thrash, and, and it's the, the thing is, it's also, like, they, they were fun. They're so, like, uh, yeah. They're fun, and just even their image, and the fact that they did like the you know, um, you know, like you know, they did some rap songs and some parody songs, and 
we, you know, we're going to review the Beastie Boys, you know, in the next yeah. episode. And that's the I thing. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, because Anthrax had, and this is like, they had it like in their grasp. They were kind of like the Beastie Boys of Thrash. They had it. Yeah. And they were going right into the 90s, like, the perfect way. They had done that. They did the song with Public Enemy. Like, they were kind of ahead of the game. They were mixing rap and metal. They had this looser kind of skater image wearing, you know, shorts and being kind of goofy. And to me, they would have segued way better than probably any of the other thrash bands into yeah. the 90s. They had a really good image that wasn't, like, caught up in more satanic stuff or heavier stuff. I feel like they were far more crossover ball, <laughs> you know, yep. than any of the other thrash bands. And and then they fucking just self-destructed because Scott Ian just decided, no, we need to have a tougher-sounding singer than Joey Belladonna. And that first major, you know, that major blunder just... It dictated the rest of their career, you know. And even when they got back with Joey Belladonna, which helped a little bit, they still didn't return entirely back to the fun anthrax that they were in the eighties. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it even was the an identity crisis, in my yeah, opinion. It's like, like it's like you became this thing. You became this thing organically in the eighties, and people people liked it. A lot of people loved it. Like it was successful. And then you worked against this thing you became. And it's just like, that's the very thing that made you guys special. That's what made you different. That's what made you very New York. You were like the New York scrappy, funny thrash band. And that's what made you different from all those, you know, Bay City, you know, Bay City, you know, Bay Area bands. It made you different and unique. And like, look in contrast to that is like Overkill. Overkill, if anything, they increasingly leaned into the Jersey thing. You know? yeah. like, like, they embraced their roots. They, like, this is who we are. They embraced that East Coast side of them. Yeah, and, like, Anthrax had that. They had that. And they were doing it even a little before Overkill entirely, you know, leaned into it. And th they had it all. Like, they really had something that would have brought, brought them into the 90s, I think, in a really you know, big way. I think they would have, I think they would have been very popular throughout the 90s if they just continued what they were doing in the late 80s with Joey Belladonna, maybe occasionally mix some rap with their thrash and, you know, maybe occasionally do like a grungier song and mix it in, but with a sense of humor, maybe a funny video, like Foo Fighters kind of videos. Like, yeah. Anthrax could have done that kind of shit. And I think people would have loved it. And I think they uh, would have... They wouldn't have been a band that just was thought of as an 80s thrash band. But, yep. but you know, they made some bad decisions at some very important periods of their career. So it sounds like you and me totally agree with this, Eric. Oh, what do you I agree totally. Hey, what do you think, Joseph? How do you discover this fucking band? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so clearly I'm going to be the bad guy on this episode. Because uh, not only am I very so-so on this album, I'm very so-so about Joey Belladonna. Uh-oh! Well, that's good. We get a little contrast. Um, right? Yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> not just like that. I like a little. I like a little conflict. It's not just. It's not just going to be a gush fest over here. Um, so it's funny that Eric brought up discovering uh, Anthrax alongside Pantera because that's actually the exact same way I discovered Anthrax. Yeah. Uh, so when I was in high school, uh, probably junior senior year of high school, so like 2014, 2015, I really started to get into heavier music. I was always a big classic rock guy. My parents really got me into classic rock, Kiss, Scorpions, Van Halen, stuff like that. It was always my favorite music. And then eventually I started to get into more and more heavy stuff. 
uh, Christmas of, I think, probably my junior year of high school, I got, like, an Amazon gift card for Christmas. And I wanted to just go on Amazon and find some, like, cheap CDs. Nice. So I went on. I got, like, uh, Dio's Greatest Hits, Rainbow's Greatest Hits. Uh, they had Cowboys from Hell for, like, four ninety nine or something like that. And then I found almost all of the 80s Anthrax albums, including Persistence Time. I, I kind of lumped that in with the 80s. Yeah, um, yes. I found Spreading the Disease, Among the Living, State of Euphoria, and Persistence Time, all for like four bucks a piece. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I, I'd like to get into them, you know? I'm like, oh, that's really cool. They're really <laughs> cheap compared to like all these Slayer CDs and Metallica CDs and Mega CDs that are like 10, 12 bucks a piece. That's cool. <laughs> Red, uh, red warning flag should have been flashing in my head. <laughs> uh, to this day, I only like one of those albums. But, um, it's, uh, that's kind of how I got into, um, Anthrax. And it's funny that you made that comparison of the big four as, like, how, how they would be as people. I, I also kind of did that. Um, Metallica's, like, the epic band. Megadeth's the angry band. Slayer's the evil band. And Anthrax, I don't know how much uh, the listenership of this show knows about uh, Teutonic German thrash metal. <laughs> but I would say in both the American Big Four and the German Big Four, there's three classic thrash bands and one that is consistently viewed as, like, why are they in the Big Four? Fucking <laughs> nerds! They're, well, they could. They could also be, though. Like I said, if we le if they had leaned into it, like Eric and I oh, said, they I could. Know. They could have been like the class clowns. Like that's what's so, cool. And about that's this. where I'm going with this. Is yeah. the class clowns of the have, You have Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer, and then you have Creator, Sodom, and Destruction, and then you have Anthrax, who, like you guys said, tried to had this really cool, like unique kind of sensibility but kept trying to play it serious, whereas in German metal you had Tankard, who fully leaned into, they knew they were nuts, they knew they were like the fun group, and leaned into writing songs about food. Like, <laughs> that's literally, like they were like... songs Anth about food! If Anthrax did it right. And that's like where I kind of see the similarities, is like, Anthrax is Tankard, but they take <laughs> themselves way too seriously. Yeah, well, and yeah. especially once they kick Joey Baldana exactly. out of the band. Yeah. Which is, as, as much as I love Sound of White Noise, I do. I love that album. It's not an Anthrax album. It yeah. isn't. It's it, is, it is much it's, it's the It's the fifth Armored Saint album. Yeah, it's, I it's wouldn't compare it with Armored Saint. Yeah. <laughs> would, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a closer little. to Armored Saint than it is to Anthrax. But I agree. It, it's kind of like it's like what Motley Crue did in 94. Yes. It's, yeah. just, it's just a different thing. They should yeah, have had a different name. It's own thing. Yeah. But, it's I. It's funny. I I love one album from each singer of Anthrax. I love Fistful of Metal. I love Spreading the Disease, and I love Sound of White Noise. The rest I could you could throw it in the garbage bin, and I'd never ask about it ever again. Okay, Joseph. Yes. Before we get into it, have you <laughs> yes. listened to the remastered version of this? Album? Yes, that's what I listened to today. Okay, I have do, the. Old... Do you have good speakers? Yes, I do. Oh, fuck. How, how many times have you... <laughs> were you drinking heavily while you... I, I was not. I was... Okay, I was, that might was, be your problem. You weren't in a state of euphoria. <laughs> I, was, I was not in a state of euphoria. You gotta time. get into a state of inebriation to... No, enjoy, that was... To I recognize the brilliance of this album. I listened to my old CD that I got for four ninety nine on Amazon 
eight years ago, and I listened to the remastered version, both of them. I took I listened to both of them by themselves, and then I took notes. I listened to the remastered version a second time and took notes. Wow. I'm still... Well, you'll find out when we get track by track, but... I Like I said, it's not an awful album. It's better than I originally thought it was. It's not Persistence of Time. It's not um, Among the Living. I think it's better than both of those albums. But I, I could still take or leave some of it. Hey, I could, like, objectively... I Even as I'm saying this is my favorite album, objectively, I, I think... I can still say spreading the disease is their best because to me it's their most versatile. It's got it's both a mixture of thrash and classic metal. You know, it's unique and you know and fits Joey like a glove because he could sing it all. But listen to this album, like I said, it's just it's just so purely gets to the core of what I really like about Anthrax and what I think they do best. But we'll get into it as we go track by track mm-hmm. and. It's probably the best showcase for Joey because it really shows, because the music simplified, it kind of puts him a little bit more in the spotlight. Like how he can really elevate these songs in a way where with spreading the disease, it's kind of more of a, it's a group effort. Like I kind of hear everyone on that album. Well, here it's like I hear Joey Belladonna making a straightforward thrash album into a fucking thrasherama masterpiece. <laughs> oh boy, then we're really gonna have a fight on this one then. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I, I'm rolling I like up that though. I like that. I'm rolling up my sleeves to back up Joey Joey Belladonna on this motherfucker. <laughs> Get some lotion on my hands because I'm uh, I'm literally gonna gush over this album. <laughs> okay, so I got Erica in my corner, so that's good. Okay, so it's two against one. Let's do it. I like those. I like those yeah. odds. And it's our show. I like those odds. <laughs> Eduardo, <laughs> would you like to take the first song? Uh, okay, what's that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, be all, end all. Um, yep. Great song. It's weird. You know, it starts off with cello. <laughs> Got some yep. cello. A little pretentious, and, but hey, I'll take it. You know you know why I like it? As much as, well, I'll just say this. My fa- A lot of people know this about me. My favorite Testament album is Souls of Black. Now, Souls of Black opens up with uh, acoustic guitar work. That's It's great. It's a great little mm-hmm. song, and I love how it leads into the opening track. But they're clearly ripping off Metallica. Like, yeah. So, oh, so, my God, yeah. So even though it's cool and I like it, I, you know, I don't entirely respect it. It's like, it's cool, but you're totally ripping off Metallica. But I still love it, but it's ripping off. Where I give this song credit. Because it's like they had a choice. They knew they they wanted to do that very popular late eight, mid and late eighties thrash thing where you start off with something that's not like thrash, you know, something. Yeah, little- and they kind of did that with Among the Living with uh, you know the title track where they kind of opened it like uh, Master of Puppets or uh, Fight Fire or Fire with like a mellow like kind of intro, you know. Yeah, and here it's like they it looked like they were putting a little effort to do something that would have the same effect, you know, to have a contrast to the heaviness, but not do exactly the same thing that Metallica was doing. So yep. I give them credit, you know, maybe a cello is not the the instrument you always want to hear right before a thrash song, but <laughs> but they were trying to do something different. And it worked well obviously with the the riff, the you know, the riff which sounds a little like a kind of broke classical piece. So it, it's cool. It, I actually like the cello, and it, it doesn't go on too long, and then it hits. And it's funny because 
you know, I'm looking at this. It's probably my least favorite song on the album, and yet it's like the one song I think they play live. This or Antisocial sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's like the one representative of it, and it's it gets it gets things going, but it's a little bit of a dirge, and it's in my opinion every other song's a little more awesome after this, but. In a way, I like that. I like when an album, you know, so many albums are front-loaded. And that's the thing about Among the Living. Like, it's very front-loaded. Whereas yep. this album, to me, builds. It builds. And actually, I feel it, like, peaks in the middle, which is very unusual for albums. Uh, yep. Yeah, usually they start all strong or the end strong. And the middle's, like, dips. Whereas I think the middle's the best part of this album. But, so, not one of my favorite tracks on the album, but I think it's a good start. Again, kind of like flick at a switch it's like the rising power rising power is just a good straight up mid-tempo song but it's not one of my favorite songs yeah. on the album but i agree with you fully yeah but it gets the party going you know what i mean it sets it up and then it only makes all the subsequent songs kind of kick ass a little bit more so i think it works that way it sets things up and it kind of gets you ready for some real ass kicking that's about to happen <laughs> so what do you think about this song well, we'll go to Eric first. Go to Joe. No, go to Joseph. I want a yin and yang kind of thing here. You want to break up the the, the gushing with the non gushing? Yeah, yeah. I think we should do a yin and yang. <laughs> okay, you go, Joseph. So uh, I'll start by saying I hadn't heard before I sat down and listened to this for this review. I hadn't heard this album in a while. Uh, so I sat down and I put the CD on, and the cello started. I'm like, what? And so. I'm just like, oh, God, here we go. Um, so, <laughs> but, like you said, it doesn't go on too long. So just right before, right, about two seconds before I was about to hit stop on the CD player and message one of you guys and say, sorry, I changed my mind, <laughs> um, it got into the song. And it is a good song. I like this song. This is one of the better songs on the album, in my opinion. I think it's a good song. The riff's really cool. I think Joey sounds good on it. The lyrics aren't too horrendous, which is a... a, a Repeating a uh, concern I'll have throughout this album is the oh, lyrics. We're um, gonna have some words. <laughs> uh, I think this one's—it's uh, it, a good song. I, I wouldn't—I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to it, especially if I had to hear the cello every time. But I, I think it's a good song. Not Eric, right. what do you think? Oh man, I, I fucking love this song, man. The, I, I agree that cello's a little uh, kind of goofy. I, I'm not a big fan of it at the beginning, but it doesn't last very long, so it doesn't really bother me. And like Edwin and like you and Edwin were saying, this is like the one song I feel that like even people that hate this album, because I know this album is generally like kind of hated by most Anthrax fans and even non-fans. It's like considered one of their worst outputs of the '80s. I this is like the one song that survived the set list. It's like the one song people do like, even if they don't like the album, they really love this one. Uh, for good reason, it's a really good song. I definitely feel like it's maybe not one of the better songs on the album, but still pretty damn good. Like, if they threw this shit on Among the Living, uh, Among the Living probably would have been maybe a better fucking album. I love it. It's a great, great song about just living your life, you know? You never know when life could end, so just fucking live your life. Uh, don't let people tell you what to do. Don't let people hold you down. Uh, and I always love songs like that with those kind of messages. An amazing, amazing solo by Mr. Dan Spitz. Uh, the the killer dwarf on guitar because uh, holy shit that man is short. <laughs> well, you ever seen Dan Spitz, man? Holy shit, that guy is short as fuck. Like I'm like I look like Andre the Giant probably compared to him, and I'm short guy. So holy shit. Uh, but man, amazing guitar solo by him. 
just a great song. Great way to kick off the fucking album, man. I love this tune. And uh, so, Eduardo, why don't you take Out of Sight, Out of Mind? Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Awesome fucking song. I love this song. This is like, like I said, the first song Kai, Kai sets it up. It's like, all right, they're not, they're holding back. It's a confident opener. You know, they're holding back the ass Yeah. <laughs> and then Alice, it does that thing I love that, I love a second track being a little faster, a little heavier, and a little more ass kicking than the first track. It's like, that's the way to set it up. Don't shoot your load on the first song. Do it on the fucking second song. <laughs> and yeah. out of sight, out, it's fine. It's this good old thrashy, just a real straight up thrash song. You know, just real straight up. <laughs> Punky thrash, a lot of great little hooks. Hey, I gotta say, he might be a dick, but he's doing some great riffage here, Scotty. In oh yeah, and, and I, I love the sound of the the guitars on it, and it's just thrashing and fun. And this is what I said: this like Anthrax at their best. They're they're regardless of what the lyrical content is, the mood is that they're party thrash. You just listen to this. You just want to fucking start smashing heads, but in a fun way. You know, you want to go around beating people up in a fun way. <laughs> and, and this song just brings it. It's just like fucking brings it. And to me, it already sets up that this is kind of closest to Fistful of Metal than any of their other albums. It just, oh, it's, yeah. it's just a straight up, fun, thrash, thrash-tastic song. And I love Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Like, yeah, it's not it's not progressive thrash. That's the thing. You know, with Metallica and a lot of these other bands by this point, things were getting very progressive. And very long songs. Yeah, this is just a fun, kick-ass rock and thrash song, and it gets the party going in a big way. And I love it. It's probably my uh, maybe fourth favorite song on the album. It's a great song. I love it. What do I you know. think of it, Joseph? Boy, I'm really disappointing you guys so far. I love this song. This is a great song. Woo, uh, okay. I, I sat down when I was listening. When I was listening to this album, I'm like, oh, okay, am I going to like this album? Because I, I, I'm like, <laughs> this is just a really good straight up thrash song, like you said. And a uh, little, little sidebar for those New York Rangers haters in the audience: <laughs> they are currently down one nothing to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, baby. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I love, I love this song. This is a great. Like you said, great thrash song, really good. I really like Joey's vocals on it. It's a great song. Yep. What do you think, Eric? Oh, man, just a killer fucking tune. It's like Be All End All is a great song, but they're holding back a little bit. You know, they're just kind of, you know, they're they're not blowing their load yet. And then this song's like they finally come. They come in the girl. And, uh, yeah, Outside of Mine, great song. I love the fucking just pumbling drums by Charlie Bonate, who... Man, Anthrax may not be, like, my favorite of the Big Four, but I definitely think Charlie Benante is probably the best drummer of the fucking Big Four. Uh, just, I love the way his drums sound. Like, I love the tone of yeah. his drums and just his drumming style. It's just so great. And when you pair him up, too, with, uh, uh, God damn, I can't remember his name. Uh, uh what, what's the bass player's name? I can't remember. Frank Bellow. Like Frank 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 that's his nephew. His nephew who's only yeah, like five years yeah. younger. I don't know how the fuck that yeah, happened. I don't know how I forgot Frankie <laughs> Bellow's name, but uh, god damn, when you pair him up to it, Frankie Bellow is an amazing bass player. It's just, what a rhythm section. Very strong rhythm section. They're kind yeah. of like the thrash equivalent of Aerosmith. Very and, strong. And uh, your feast. <laughs> and man, I was listening to this on YouTube. I was reading like the comment section, and I was like on online just kind of researching this album. I'm trying to find like a little, some fun fat toys about it. And I guess they wrote this song uh, about losing the soundtrack job uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 to Dokken. 
I guess they were supposed to, they had a deal where they were going to do the song for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and at last minute, just without any kind of explanation or anything, uh, the job went to Dokken, which, you know, sorry Anthrax, I'm going to praise you a lot, you know, during this review, because I love this album, but Dokken deserved it, because Dream Wars is like a, one of the greatest songs ever written, it's the greatest soundtrack song in my opinion, and it just it's the cherry on top of a perfect movie that is Nightmare on Elm Street 3. But hey, at least you wrote a great song out of the the hatred and the anger you felt <laughs> towards it. But apparently, that's what that song was about. Is about I them did not know that. about losing that <laughs> got soundtrack know. spot. They're also, so, it's so petty of them. <laughs> if, if Anthrax would have gotten the job, we wouldn't have gotten one of the greatest metal songs of all time in oh. movie. Also, Into the Fire. Yep. Yeah. The fact that Into the Fire is in that movie just makes the movie even better. Oh, oh yeah, I love that. I remember too when I first saw that movie. I knew Dream was it, but then I was taken aback when I heard in the opening, like basically the opening scene when I heard Into the Fire. I was like, "Fuck!" You know, I, I love Dream Warriors, man. That's a great song. We actually, me and Edwin, our first episode of uh, the Rock Allery podcast, we talked about back for the Attack on, which they had a different version of uh, Dream Warriors on there. But man, that's a great song. I'm kind of glad Anthrax lost that position because then we got two great songs out of it. You got Dream Warriors and Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Amazing song. Great second track for the album. And Eduardo, I will let you take the song Make Me Laugh. Make Me Laugh. Great song. Sorry, Joseph. Sorry <laughs> that they're mocking your faith. But Or maybe they're just mocking the, you know, the fake, uh, the, you know, charlatans that take advantage of true faith. You know, that's open for debate, which you can elaborate more when we get to you, Joseph. But anyway, but yeah, this is like uh, making fun of like uh, the, the bakers and all the, the stuff that was going on in the late 80s with uh, the TV, you know, Angelica or whatever you call those people. Um, <laughs> fucking assholes. Yeah, yeah Tammy, Tammy Faye Baker and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So apparently that's what this song's about. But this is the thing. This is the song where I want to talk about Joey Belladon. All right? Fucking unsung fucking songbird. I remember when he did the metal sh- when Anthrax, Scott Ian, that asshole, did the metal show. And Eddie Trunk, it's one of the few times I, I had Eddie Trunk's back. Eddie Trunk <laughs> said Joey Belladonna sang like a bird, and he said like what you were saying, Eric, about how like he like transitioned people that were like into hard rock or even like stuff like Journey and stuff could listen to Thrash because of Joey Belladonna. And he yeah. said he sing he sings like a bird. And yep. Scott Ian thought he had this real smart comment. He said, "Yeah, but yeah, we want, dick." He said, "We wanted someone that sings sings like a lion." And yeah, but you guys weren't a lion band. That's the thing. You didn't realize. And not to mention, there's different kinds of birds. Let me tell you. There's the fucking hawks, and there's the fucking eagle. The other day, I live on a on a pond in Florida. And I was and this this isn't going to be too much of a rambling. This, we'll go back to Joey Belladonna. <laughs> Hold, just ride with me here for a minute, all right? Get in the car. Yeah, I'll, I'll ride take with you. So I'm looking out my window, and I see I got this body of water. I got a couple of alligators up in there. And anyway, anyway, so I'm looking out the window, and just a flash, I see a flat, a splash in the water, and this thing swoops from the fucking sky. It's a fucking eagle, fucking bald eagle, fucking swoops Damn. down, grabs a fish that's in the water. Now this eagle's in the air. It's an air creature. And it goes down, <laughs> grabs this thing that's in the fucking water. A water creature? <laughs> fucking a water, water creature. A fucking water creature brings it out of the fucking water in its fucking talons and flies off. 
It does this all within five fucking seconds. It's like real fucking Toshiro Mufun samurai shit. It flies down, gets this fucking fish from the fucking water, brings that out in the air. I can only imagine what the fish is thinking. It's like, oh my god, I'm fucking... What is this place? I've never been <laughs> up, up in the sky before. I'm fucking dying from some creature in some environment I've never been in. And this is what the fish is thinking as it fucking dies. And the fucking... Eagle flies off into a fucking blue infinity. That's fucking Joey Belladonna. That's the kind oh, of fuck. Yeah. That's the kind of bird he is. America. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know, it's like a fucking bald eagle on fucking spirit from GI Joe's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> In more ways than one. Because my fucking brother Joey Belladonna, like me, he's half Italian, but the other half's Native American, and that makes him even more ass kicking than me. Fucking, yeah. I love fucking Joey Belladonna. He's like a fucking bird, all right, but a bird will sweep down and fucking pluck that fish out. And let me tell you, about, make me laugh. Make me laugh. You hit, listen to the way he's doing in the verses. I was listening to this today, and I was like, he's doing like Mike Patton shit. He's, he's yeah. not like Mike Patton in the verses. He's doing this really cool, inventive stuff that no thrash singer would sing like that or would be able to sing like that. You have yeah. to, you would have to go to Mike Patton. That's who you would have to go to. And it, it's really inventive stuff. And it elevates like this song would just be kind of an average thrash song. But Joey Belladonna's vocals elevate it. He elevates it, he makes it more interesting, more theatrical, you know, like an actor that's like, uh, you know, reads the part and then elevates it and puts in more personality. And I was really impressed by Joey singing on the song and what he did with it. And I like it, I think it's a great track. And he elevated what I think a lesser singer wouldn't be able to do to give it more personality. And it's a it's a really great song. I think it's a great third track. And it like again, Joey Belladonna. This guy to me is the VIP on this album. It's a great solid thrash album that is elevated by an above average and unique singer for this kind of music. And that's what I think of "Make Me Laugh." What do you think of it, Joseph? So, like I said, coming out of out of sight, out of mind, I'm thinking, okay, I like, I think I might really like this album. And then I come into this song, and I hear this really, really cool, like South of Heaven s riff, like the really cool, like South of Heaven era Slayer kind of riff coming into this song. And it's a really good riff, and it's really starting out really well. And then the vocals start. <laughs> oh, shots fired! And there's this weird, distorted vocals, and it's like trying to sound ominous and shit and it's just awful and then Joey starts singing normally and it's okay it's good nothing spectacular but like he keeps going back and forth into this like low distorted voice and it just sounds atrocious and I love Mike Patton I love Faith No More no this does not work for this song or Anthrax or Joey Belladonna's voice at all it sounds awful so and strange, and you like Mike Patton, because to me, I this love, is like so straight up kind of Mike Patton kind of style, in my I opinion. Think, I think Mike Patton's voice fits with Faith No More. I don't think what Joey Belladonna did here fits with this song at all. Um, and like you said about the lyrics, it's, it's, it's kind of mocking televangelists and stuff. Let me tell you what, this song is no Miracle Man. This well, song I, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. I, I agree, Miracle this Man is a lot better. Is no Miracle Man. The, vo the, the lyrics are, they're, they're trying to be clever, 
and it, it just it, it just falls short of the mark big time for me. And I'm like, I, I like like you said, like I can get a little more insight on this. I, I don't find it attacking true believers in God or anything. I think it's attacking like what you said, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Jimmy Swagger, that kind yeah. of stuff. The money people. Yeah. Um, I just think the vote, like the the lyrics are just hokey and. If you want to make a statement, make the statement. Don't try to make these little, like, oh, I'm making these clever little puns about it. No. If you're going to come out and say it, say it like Ozzy did. Say it like, for example, Striper on one of their most recent albums had a really good song called Big Screen Lies about the same kind of Great stuff. Great song. They, came, they just come out and say it. I, I, I don't think the lyrics fit. And just when I'm about to give up all hope on this song, Dan Spitz comes out and gives this kick-ass guitar solo freaking amazing solo on this song i the man's just shredding and i'm like okay this is i can get behind this and then right after the solo there's about 20 seconds around the four minute mark of this song the song just goes to absolute shit it sounds like the song is falling apart like it, it i don't know what it is but it just sounds disjointed or something before the vocals come back in right after the guitar solo it just sounds like somebody just like ate the tape <laughs> And I don't know what it is, and, it's, and I heard it all every time I listened to the song, but it just sounds like the machine was eating the tape. They're raging out. That's the power yeah. of the thrashing. They're burning yeah. the fucking yeah. tape. Uh, okay. Burning uh, we'll, it, we'll, we'll go with that. So, like I said, I, I really like the intro. I really like the guitar solo. Everything else is a miss for me. So where do you like... You're the tiebreaker here, Eric. What do you think? I'm the tiebreaker, and I gotta say... Fuck yeah, this song fucking rules, baby. <laughs> oh my god. I'm surprised no one mentioned how similar that, that drum fill is to to one by Metallica. Oh, it, it is. It is. Oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah. It, like, the yeah. first thing I thought when I heard this song was, oh shit, that sounds like one by Metallica. The and it's one year before. Yeah, one year before. So yeah, pay up the uh, fucking royalties, Metallica. Also, I, something else with one. I just noticed when I was watching that Striper DVD earlier. I can't remember what song it was, but it's an early Striper song. That in the solo, it sounds just like the solo from one. Holy shit! That's interesting. So, not, only also, the, not only the, like the two most identifiable parts of one are in other songs before. <laughs> also, you you two did a cover of it, and they got it all wrong. They got the lyrics wrong, the music wrong. <laughs> Wait, wait, yeah. You, you guys really bang, dropped the ball. You, you, <laughs> you hear, didn't like, even listen like to the song. Eleven or some shit. You two, like you two, gave out like a free album on oh, iTunes and those put into your iTunes shit. library. Oh, believe me, that's a good one. I became pissed me off. I became the guy that people would hand me. Friends and family members would hand me their phones to say, uh, "Could you get?" That YouTube yeah, album. You get this thing off of <laughs> I remember that shit. I woke up one day, I go on my iTunes, it's like the, this YouTube album is in my music library. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Oh, it was horrible. It was some. It looked like a horrible maternity. I think it was like a horrible maternity picture or something yeah. for the Almart. Just terrible. Oh, like, and it was like later shit. Like, like, this is the thing. I, I mean, I'm not a fan of Joshua Tree. All right, I'm not a fan of that album. But I can, like, objectively, like, I can hear why people like it. It's just not for me, but I can hear why people like it. But this is, like, shit late period U2 that they oh, were yeah. forced yeah. to. Yeah. You listen to this. This is their greatest hits era. This is, this is even past that. This is even post-Beautiful Day. It was like, I think it had, uh, what was the name of the album? It was like Songs for... Songs the, of Innocence. Oh. Oh, but, God, you actually remembered that shit? I yeah, tried to block it from my memory. 
think that that's still title. my iTunes. Songs I find the of Innocence. Like, where I'll take the, the worst Anthrax album over like U2's best fucking album. Jesus Christ. I, I, I agree with that. It, and and oh. the worst part was, they dared to name the first song after Jelly Ramone. Oh, oh. bastards. You oh, too can be entitled to compensation for the trauma <laughs> caused by YouTube putting their music in your fucking iTunes library. That, that's I think thing. there was a lawsuit about it. <laughs> I, I, I would put a lawsuit against them too. Fuck them. I, and I hate when bands say they like the Ramones but don't sound like the Ramones. Yeah. Hey, fucking Motorhead sounded like a band that actually liked the Ramones. They wrote a song yeah. about the fucking they Ramones, baby. They song about the Ramones. It does not sound like they listen to the Ramones. Stop it. Stop yeah. being a fucking poser. Maybe you listen to the greatest hits once. Stop being a fucking 14-year-old girl wearing a Ramones shirt, you two. Yep. Don't be oh, posing. Oh, man. Yeah. Make me laugh. Just <laughs> what a fucking killer song. And like I said, I was listening. I, I went on YouTube and listened to these songs so I could kind of read the comments. And, like, maybe find out maybe some fun factoids or hear people's opinions on it or see something funny that maybe I can bring up in the episode. Well, let me tell you something. There's a guy on there, and he commented, like, oh, man, this is, like, I think, honestly, this is the best Anthrax album ever. Just a, a nice guy trying to admit his opinion that he thinks State of Euphoria is the best Anthrax album. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. I forget who that user's name was. But then this fucking asshole... Under I was going to say, how many comments responded? Fuck you, yeah, dude. There's this there's fucking asshole, a YouTube user named Save the Republic. I hope you're listening to this fucking episode. He said, oh, well, actually, this is the worst album they did, and Among the Living was the best. And for oh. since the time, the album that followed this one up was actually a huge improvement. Well, Save the Republic, you're a fucking dumbass. Quit bringing people fucking down. This song's awesome. The fact that you like Persistence from Time and you, you like Among the Living just says a lot about you. Go fuck yourself, goddammit. Hey, 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 Eric, Eric, Eric. Yeah, it's yeah. Not cool call, it's, it's not cool to call me out like that, dude. Like, it's, it's oh, not cool. I was oh, going to say, that's just Joseph. Oh. No, no, I'm kidding. Oh, no, Joseph likes Among the Living the best. It's like, oh, God, oh. no. Oh god no. But yeah, this this is a great fucking song. It's about the uh TV evangelist or however the fuck you pronounce <laughs> that word that we're going oh, on. The only man only the man of God can pronounce this word right. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, I'm a Christian too, man. I'm a Christian that I still love my heavy metal music. I still love oh. my you know, I, I have fun, you know, I drink, you know, I, I watch movies and music that maybe Christians say you shouldn't. I'm a Christian, man. I'm not one of those guys that's going to force it down your throat and look down on you or whatnot. Uh, even one of my closest friends ever is an atheist, and we get along perfectly well. I'm not one of those asshole Christians. So uh, I didn't even I didn't even know this about you. And this, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not forcing down anyone's throats or anything. You know, uh, for me, it's a personal journey, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But, man, yeah, fuck fuck Jim Baker and Tammy. Tammy. Oh, well, yeah. not Tammy Lynn. She seemed to change her herself around later on, but... Yeah, fuck Jim Baker, fuck Jimmy Swagger and all this shit. Uh, yeah, fuck those assholes. You know, they deserve to be made fun of because they're the kind of assholes that make us Christians look like assholes when we're really not. It's just these assholes that exploit Christianity for money. Uh, you know, and yeah, Jimmy, uh, you know, luckily Jim Baker ended up, uh, and Jimmy Swagger and all of them got, you know, caught doing bad things and it kind of ruined their career, you know. And holy shit, Jessica Hahn, if you're going to lose a kingdom or like an empire or some pussy, might as well be her. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> wow, thing. Yeah, oh my god, like, oh. And I think she did Playboy after that, too, and god damn. She, she was pretty fine, man. 
so yeah. But yeah, fuck, fuck these TV uh, televangelists, wackos. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, like Joseph said, Ozzy did a song about, I think it was Jimmy Swaggart specifically, where he was making fun of him called Miracle Man. I definitely think Miracle Man's a lot better of a song. This one's still fucking, this one's still fucking awesome. And yeah, fucking these, these TV televangelists, <laughs> man. It's like we got God's special education team over here on uh, TV right now. Even like that other guy with the weird mullet, Joel Esting or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, well, you know, everything gets exploited for money, so why not God? Yeah, you know, exactly. Maybe you guys are being a little too hard on them. They're just trying to make a buck. <laughs> yeah. Gotta yeah. make I a living. Play, I can just picture God up in heaven, like, reading through the list of, like, what the fuck? I didn't say anything about building an air-conditioned doghouse or a, uh, a fucking water slide, building a homeless shelter for a tax rate. What the fuck, you know? Yeah, God <laughs> fucked you know, Jim Baker, God, God fucked him up badly, so yeah, he deserved it. Fucking asshole. So, Edwin, why don't you take the next song, Antisocial, the the hit, or <laughs> I say that with air quotes, the hit off the album. Uh, it may, I mean, it makes sense why it would be the one they would release. Um, I feel like I'm going to be like the lone defender of this song. Uh, I, it's not one of my favorites. But I do like it. I think it's a, a solid cover. To me, you know, like I said, I thought on the last episode of the Megadeth episode, I thought Anarchy in the UK was a really boring cover for, for Dave Mustaine to choose to do. You know, it was just a really obvious song. It's one of the biggest Sex Pistol songs. It was just, you know, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a really unimaginative cover. And this, on the other hand, it's from a French rock band from, like, the early 80s. The song, the original song, which I was listening to before uh, jumping on. Yeah, it, it's an actual French song with, like, French lyrics. And yeah. It's different. It is cool. I didn't mind it, actually. And and I could kind of hear, like, they heard the chord progression, and Scott Ian was like, yeah, this, this kind of sounds catchy. I kind of hear a song here that could be a hit. But... You know, and they turn it, and I think the Anthrax version's uh, better. I think they bettered it. I think uh, they made it a little punchier, a little heavier, and they they leaned into the catchiness of the song as well. And they brought out the hooks. And to me, that's like what you should do with a cover. Like, I think it's cool that they took a cover that no one knew. You know, it's more like what Metallica did in the early days with Diamond Head. Like, you know, you pick covers that are you know from underground acts that not everyone knows and not only do you shed some light to underground music but you you just you're not doing the obvious thing so it was not an obvious choice it was not an obvious song to do i think it works with the energy of the album it's got a real punky thing that's a another aspect to anthrax that i think distinguished them and could have worked well for them in the 90s was like overkill they had this northeast kind of punk thing going, you know, that they had this punk hardcore side that was a little different from the uh, Bay Area bands that didn't have quite as strong of a punk influence, in my opinion. So they had those hardcore. Their gang vocals were definitely yeah, like, had that exactly. hardcore sound to it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, Outcast. I mean, not Outcast. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> I am a fan of Outcast as well. But, I like uh, the way you move. Yeah, but. Uh, but uh, Overkill and Anthrax both have those like real northeast hardcore punk kind of uh, gang vocals, and I really like that. And I like the gang vocals, and I think it's one of the characteristics of Anthrax that's unique 
And again, like they kind of lost that. Like, I don't know, it's weird because punk was very fashionable in the 90s. And even though they got heavier and, and kind of darker and more serious in the 90s, they kind of lost their punk edge, I felt. They, they, didn't, they, they didn't have that vibe to them. And again, as much as I like and love John Bush and Armored Saint, he's not like, he's not like a punk guy. Now, the thing is, yeah. Joey Belladonna, in theory, isn't either. But the thing is, Joey Belladonna has this kind of spazziness to his vocals, too, which I haven't talked about yet, but I'm going to talk about them here, which I love. He's kind of spazzy, like we were all saying, like, Anthrax is not cool. And that's the thing, no matter what they say, even though Hollywood's in love with punk rock and thinks it's cooler than heavy metal, we all know that it's not <laughs> that heavy metal is actually cooler than punk punk's kind of dorky you know it's kind of dorky music you know mohawks and and kind of outcast and lanky guys that really can't get laid that's who becomes punk rockers you know it's the end of revenge of the nerds when they got their new wave band you know punk yeah. rockers are not as cool headbanger guys are usually a little they're in better shape they got nice flowing hair they get laid more they're kind of cooler you know, and punk rock is kind of dorky. The thing about Joey Belladonna is he's kind of like he has the vocals, you know, of a traditional like heavy metal or hard rock singer, but he's kind of a spazzy guy. He's a little offbeat. Maybe it's because he's like a half breed. I don't know, but he's a little bit of a dorky guy, like the dorky guy in a horror movie that gets killed halfway through. That's kind of funny. <laughs> You know, that's Joey Valdana, and that's what's awesome about it. He was it. in a horror movie, too, by the way. I forget was, what it was called, but he was in a horror movie. It was like a small part, but, Was yeah. he halfway through? <laughs> yeah. He's like the guy that tries to get laid. He's like the Italian guy and like, uh, like the Italian guys in Halloween 2 or Friday the 13th Part 4. He's yeah. like that guy that's trying to get laid and then gets killed halfway through. That's Joey Valdana, and that's what I love about this motherfucker. And that's what he brings to a song like Antisocial. Like, he's he's kind of a spazzy rock dude that can kind of dip his feet in punk and heavy metal and thrash. All these areas where he doesn't really belong, but yet he's too uncool to not that he doesn't realize it, so he totally owns it when he's in there. He owns it like, hey, I can sing a song like this, like some fucking goofball singing with a banana in his hand thinking it's a microphone <laughs> but he makes it work he makes it work a fucking yellow banana like this yellow album fucking cover yes he makes it work it's spazzy it's fun and it's party time and that's why I like antisocial even though I kind of know it's lame it's fun and I'll fucking put on a fucking Spuds McKenzie shirt and fucking botcha flip on my skateboard while listening to it <laughs> What do you think of it, Joseph? I'm going to use the bathroom on Joseph talks about real quick. All right. Uh, I, I think it's okay. I mean, it's nothing great. It's not awful. I don't think Joey's vocals fit it, really. Like, I don't think he really fits that kind of punky vibe, really. Like, you can tell, like, he, he's kind of he's kind of a little too dorky for it, almost. <laughs> um, and, like, this is, this is just another one of, like, the trend of... Ever since, like... Metallica did Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg on the EP, or I mean on the on the B side of the uh, Creeping Death single. Every thrash band has to do covers. Like that's ever since that, every thrash band has to do covers. Slayer did This Is an Aggressor. Uh, Megadeth did all their awful covers. I don't think Megadeth ever did a good cover of anything. 
Anthrax did uh, God Save the Queen on the Armed and Dangerous EP. They did Sabbath Bloody Sabbath on the I'm the Man EP. They did this. Testament did Nobody's Testament Fault. Did Nobody's Fault, <clears throat> which I think yeah. is great. Overkill did um, the Dead uh, Boys. Sonic Producer. Yes, yeah, Sonic, Sonic Producer. They did Sonic Producer um, by fuck Overkill fucking rules. It's, oh, uh, that's, a great, that's a great cover. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fuck You, which is a cover. Um, yeah. And then, um, of course... Test. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Anthrax did a bunch of covers later. They did Parasite. They did a yeah. ton of Kiss covers. There's actually uh, they, uh, the deluxe version of this album has the cover of Parasite with Joey Baldana vocals, and it's actually a pretty damn good cover. Yes, yeah, that, it was, it was the B side of this single. Yeah, and it was, it was an the yeah, it was EP in Europe too. Yeah. Expanded it. Yeah, a lot of those made the, uh, the Attack of the Killer uh, Bees. Attack of the Killer Bees. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I like a lot of the, the covers they did with John Bush. They did some good police covers. They did some good Thin Lizzy covers. Um, I think I like they a lot of the really great Cheap Trick cover. Oh yeah, Washington oh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the song we actually co- we did that uh, episode of Heaven Tonight. We did a review on that with the great Chris and Zach. Check that out. I, I like that you can't speak like me. After we have a few beers, me and Eric, <laughs> we can't pro- we can't pronounce shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think generally, like, this is just another one of the trend of after Metallica, every Thrack band had to do covers. Um, obscure covers, too. Obscure like, covers. Punk, which, I mean, or, like, some unknown yeah. band. And even not all of them, because, I mean, like I said, they, um, usually more punk, they lean punk or hardcore more often than anything. Yeah. But, like, I mean, like like I said, um, Anthrax did Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath on the On The Man EP. Um, Slayer did a Judas Priest cover. Um... <clears throat> Like they they, they they did sometimes get a little more mainstream, but yeah, it was after Metallica got big off of all the Diamond Head covers. They had everyone had to do some like underground covers, but I think uh, this this one's, this one's okay. The Slayer cover of uh, Descent Aggressor pissed me off simply because Tom Morea didn't do the the scream in it mm-hmm. like during the chorus, and yeah. I know Tom Morea can do that damn scream. It, it, it's not it's not my favorite cover, but I, it's okay. I like like yeah. kind of like this one. It's okay. It's 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 nothing. It's nothing special. Like I said, when you were in the bathroom, I think Joey's voice doesn't really fit. I think it, he can't really do, pull off the punky stuff very well. I think I think John Bush probably could have done this better than he did. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I di- I disagree. I think Joey Hamp for the reasons I expressed, not to disagree with you Joseph but disagreeing with you uh, <laughs> for the reasons I express I think Joey hits punk a little bit better than John Bush just sounds a little too cool for punk I think you know he's yeah. like, it's like Steven Tyler doing punk he's got uh, this yeah, cool yeah. guy raspiness yeah. to me jo- you know John Bush always sounded kind of like a, a heavier Steven Tyler he's just a little too he sounds like a guy that gets laid he should you know a guy that gets laid shouldn't sing punk songs that's, that's true that's true <laughs> what, 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 what do you think Eric Oh man, I, I think no matter who the I don't care who the fuck sang this damn song, it would have been a horrible song either way because this song <laughs> fucking blows. This song sucks, man. What a, and what a horrible choice for a fucking single. I honestly think maybe people wouldn't hate the song as much as the, if this song wasn't the fucking single. I always hated this song. Like I said, this is the only song that represented this album on that Attack of the Killer Bees uh, or Return of the Killer Bees like compilation album that my dad got. And that's what made me avoid the sound for so long, because I'm like, oh, fuck that antisocial song. That song fucking sucks. Um, but ironically, though, it's a great album, but this is just the one weak point on the album, and sadly, this is the one they chose as the single. What the fuck? 
And apparently our good friend, Mr. Rapier, a.k.a. Dr. Fuck, uh, I, if I remember correctly, I think he was at the show that this uh, video was filmed at, because it's one of the videos that they made for this album. And it was at a show, and they had the Knotman running around. And I guess Ralph was right in front of the Knotman during one of the scenes that made it to the video, but you can barely see him. I tried watching the video and, like, to see him. I just could not find him, but uh, what a fucking horrible song. You know, Scott Ian's hair too, man. This probably, his <laughs> hair looked horrible here. You know, his hairline was receding badly. Uh, uh, that's that's know, why he shaved it. That's why he first started wearing a hat, then shaving it. <laughs> yeah, eventually he finally shaved his fucking head for persistence for time. Because man, his hair. He he was looking like a guy that would be like on cops getting arrested with that <laughs> fucking hairline. Holy he shit! He looked like Dolph the Bounty Hunter with that hairline. Oh, oh no, Dog the Bounty Hunter looks better compared to Sky Ian in this video. Holy shit! Um, and man, and then uh, you know, I'm not a New York fan. I'm not. I, I don't like their food. I don't like their sports teams. And seeing Scott Ian with that New York Yankees guitar, I literally want to shove that <laughs> New York Yankees guitar up his up his his pasty white ass. God damn it! Can we talk man. about the Can we talk about the Knot Man and how he? This is another problem for Anthrax that they had the worst mascot. Oh, oh. god, yeah, <laughs> Knot Man literally like with his mustache, his bald head. He just like, yeah, that was like a horrible mascot. Oh my god! Yeah, and I don't mind. I think they should have. I, you go first, and then I'll say what I was going to say. It, it was funny. I remember watching Friday the 13th Part 5 and seeing the Knotman. Like, they had, like, a Knotman, <laughs> yeah. like, thing in the, like, their office, and I thought that was pretty cool. But, yeah, what a horrible mascot for them to have. It was just so, I don't know, it was just dorky and stupid, and to I me, hated it. It was dorky, but not dorky enough. It's like, again, I think Anthrax needed to lean into the dorkiness. I think their mascot should have been uh, a banana. With a, with a backwards <laughs> with a with, with a backwards baseball cap on a skateboard and a flannel like tied like you know waist. Oh and god! I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of an easy comparison because like the only other thrash band with like a true mascot is Megadeth and yeah, Big Rattlehead. Like oh, so much cooler. So than much the cooler. man. Like so much you, you literally they they took like and like. Vic was, like, consistently on the album covers and stuff. Like, that was, like, the thing. And, like, the Knotman was, like, hidden places and stuff. And it was, like... Yeah. It was, like, the... Like, it was, like... It was basically, they had like, no confidence in him. No, not at all. Well, he Metal- was, like, Easter egg. Metallica had a mascot. They had that little Dutch tennis oh, player. Oh, yeah, they had that little... <laughs> what? The little Dutch tennis player? You never well, saw that, that guy? That no, I've never seen that shit. He, run, he runs he around on stage and with his drumsticks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that guy. Well, no, they have that little, they have that little, like, drawing on the front of the binge and purge sheetie or whatever it is. Like, that's, like, their mascot or whatever. It's some yeah. stupid shit, but, yeah. like, the only other true it's mascot. Slayer, Slayer could have had one. They had that fucking, uh... I think they could have pulled off a mascot. They got the, 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 you know, Show No Mercy fucking demon. Yeah, demon on the front of Show No Mercy, but, like, the... Oh, yeah, he should have stuck around. That guy was bad. Yes. For real, yeah. But I, would you really think that way if he like kept showing up on all their covers? Yeah, I would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, 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 I think it fit perfectly. I love their album cover. covers, though. Exactly. I want to see that guy on, all on that cover, but I don't think it would if it, if it kept going back. Like, like, and that's why, like, I think Vic works. But like, even then, Vic got a little old to a point. Yeah. And I, I think will that's, admit, I think though, man, happen. Anthrax, while they may not be one of my favorite thrash bands, they had some great album artwork. They did. 
I, I love even like the albums I even like a lot of the albums I fucking hate have great album artwork. You know, like I said, this album I, I didn't have faith in this album because of antisocial, and I actually did. I gave this album a chance just because I saw it for real cheap at half price books. I'm like, well, fuck the album artwork's really fucking cool. I'll give it a chance, you know. And I love this album artwork. I oh, think I, mean, I love well. the artwork. It's really yeah, it- it's done by uh, the guy who did Mad Magazine. Yeah, Mad Magazine and even, was. like, the CD version, like, the booklet had a bunch of... I think, like, the booklet, if I remember correctly, because I don't have the CD, sadly, anymore, as I lost it, but uh, what, I think the CD had, like, each, like, song had, like, its own individual artwork, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The, yeah. Like, the, the Ball Breaker. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah, just like Ball Breaker. I, I love that shit. I like good artwork for an album... Me too. This is actually my favorite Anthrax album cover. I think it's Same iconic. Here. Same here. I, think I think it's really. I, it's I really love cool. that it's yellow. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just so. Yeah, anti- yellow is such a cool color for eighties metal. And it's so anti-thrash. That's what makes it cool. Yep. It's so just fun and bouncy and comical. And that's why it's a lot like it's another reason why one of my favorite album covers is uh, Fly on the Wall. ACDC Fly on the oh, Wall. Yeah, uh, I love yeah. wood paneled uh, wood panel oh, yeah. walls. You know, I love wood panel walls. Too. Oh, that I shit also, gives me a fucking big ass boner. I love how like it's just like when an album cover kind of goes against the grain a little bit. Like cause yeah, looks, yeah, when it's just kind of fun and colorful and not like what you would associate heavy metal with. Yeah. And that's the thing. When Anthrax came back with Joey Belladonna, I think there was a real missed opportunity there. They came back and it's like, you know, they had zombies and it was a little more demonic and and they like they they kind of repackaged themselves in a more generic kind of satanic yeah, they were never really into that they stuff at all. Yeah, they never. hated that. They were yeah. always against, like, we're not going to do the devil horns. We're very anti. We're not going to do anything satanic or anything yeah. like that. And it's weird because it kind of puts them in an, you know, more makes them more niche. It's like you guys, you actually were a little more, you you, had, you were a little broader because you weren't like that. Because they, yeah, they, they were of, like they were like the striper of the thrash metal community, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I, I think very, clean, very clean cut, safe. Like, to me, if Anthrax had came back with the reunion of Joey Baldana and they had a kind of like album cover like this, and they even like threw in like a fun rap song on the <laughs> album along with heavier stuff, I think people would have really liked it. I think people because there would have been a lot of nostalgia for like yeah. the late '80s, early '90s. And but instead, you know, that's the thing. They just like it's like they're embarrassed about that side of them. But like, it's, yeah, it's, dudes, that's what made you unique. That's what made you different from the other bands. And that's where Striper has more fucking balls than they do. Oh, yeah. Striper's not afraid to be, like, uh, to get shit from uh, the metal community about being dorky, whereas Anthrax really cares about what our people think. Yeah, totally. I think it's I think it's hilarious. You see, there was, I was watching, a, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard from Ralph talking about Razor Fist, his videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, he did, a, like, a metal mythos on Striper. Yeah. And he showed a clip of Scott Ian talking about Striper. And yep. it was about how they tore, they toured together. They did the festival together, or something. And Scott Ian just like dragging Striper, saying, "I can't believe they went out there and did this after we did this and whatever." And it was basically Scott Ian like talking down on Striper. Meanwhile, yeah, fuck Scott, Scott Ian. Here's Scott Ian like trying to act cool, putting a pentagram in his logo and shit, and like not doing the fun songs, not doing I'm the. You, he wouldn't be caught dead doing I'm the man today. Like, oh yeah, he wouldn't be caught dead doing that. Meanwhile, Striper's still out here in 2022 writing songs that are more Christian than ever, still throwing out Bibles, still praying on stage. Like, Striper stuck by it, Anthrax sold out, and it's yeah. funny for Anthrax selling out to become the traditional, stereotypical, satanic thrash band. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's like, like ice. Again, man, I just something about that guy rubs me the wrong way. I've heard so many stories about what an asshole he is, and he is one of those guys that just takes himself too seriously. He he's the guy that goes to a party and he sits in the corner with his arms crossed, <laughs> trying to be cool, and he ends up just being like kind of fucking lame, and no one wants to hang out with him. He's that guy. Yeah, I remember I saw an interview with him once, and the way he thought what made Anthrax different from the other three, you know, th- big thrash bands in the big four, was he says, we're the, we were the smartest. And I, I immediately <laughs> thought to myself, yeah, no, you weren't. You weren't the smartest. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't your thing. But you think, you think, like, dude, you were just, like, writing. I mean, hey, I like the lyrics, unlike Joseph. I do, for the most part, like the lyrics for this album. But, you know, I mean, you're, you're basing songs on, like, Stephen King books and comic yeah. books and stuff. It's mm-hmm. not, like, it's not that intellectual. Yeah. They're, they're writing songs about misery while Metallica's out here writing songs about, like, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah, Megadeth, <laughs> really a difference. I think Megadeth and Metallica were writing more exactly. intelligently. And, and Slayer, honestly. Slayer yeah. was definitely like very like much into the satanic stuff. Yeah, yeah I'd say that Anthrax of the Big Four were actually this, the dumbest. The dumbest. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were the most... They were the, most, like, they were the kids on the bus with the head gear. Pop culture. But, like, you know, that's the problem. The dumb kid never knows it's the dumbest sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, that's a good transition into the next song, which is titled appropriately, Who Cares Wins. Uh, I guess I'll let... uh, Eduardo, I'll let you take Who Cares Wins. Uh, This is, like, I wouldn't call it a standout, but it keeps the party going. It's exactly the kind of song you want to hear after uh, Antisocial. It kind of goes back to the thrashier heavier stuff. Oh, it's the fucking A song after Antisocial. Holy shit. Yeah. And... It's the silent lucidity after Antisocial. Well, I won't go that far. <laughs> and, you know, and, and again, I wish Anthrax leaned into their stupidity sometimes, because I like that. I like that they were kind of like the dumb kids on the back <laughs> yeah, of the bus. I, I love On The Man. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's and, fun. And Who Cares Wins has that. You know, it's, just, it's kind of just a dumb, fun thrash song. And, you know, this is the thing, too. I'm looking at it now. It's apparently a long song. It's like seven minutes and thirty five yeah. seconds, but it doesn't feel long. It like, kind of to that. It's it speeds. <laughs> it, in my opinion, it speeds along, and you know, it's it, it it's got an energy to it, and it's not very different from a lot of the other songs on the album. Again, kind of like Flick of the Switch or Point of Entry. It's it's an album that. If you like it, you're going to like all the songs because they all kind of sound alike. And this song doesn't sound that different from the other songs. But I like it. I like the sound. I think it's a good track. I think it's a good way to wrap up the first side. What do you think, Joseph? Um, I think more than any song on this album, this song sounds unfinished. It, 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 it just get, I, it, like production especially. This is a, I think this is the song the most on the album where the production lets it down. I think it could have been something, but I just think they needed to spend more time on this one. And like we talked about earlier, I can't remember which song it was, where uh, Metallica ripped them off for uh, one. Uh, well, I think we can call it an even split since this song ripped off Sanitarium. So Yeah. Um, like I think we can call it, nobody owes anybody money on anything. They ripped off Sanitarium, Metallica ripped them off. It's all good. <laughs> We're fine. I Like... Um, when it first started, when the, like the riff first started, I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like a, a Queensrÿche kind of riff, and and then and then it kept going like, oh, this is fucking Sanitarium, <laughs> like it, it's literally just Sanitarium, and then the song kicks in and it goes a completely different direction, but like the entire yeah. intro is just Sanitarium. Um, 
So I mean, I, it, it, it's an okay song. It's it's it's. I think it's whatever. And I think it could have been a lot better if they would have focused some more time and some better production on it. But the lyric, like the the, t- the title, is just awful. Like. It's awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you think, Eric? I, I, I gotta disagree with Joseph about yeah. That's a I think it's a pretty pr- appropriate Anthrax title. I could hear them having a title like this, and uh, it, it's funny that Joseph mentioned uh, the fact that it sounds like unfinished. That's one of the things like Anthrax will say about the album. Like all the members say that, hey, this was actually not a bad album, but it was just it was rushed. It wasn't really like it didn't feel like it was completed fully. So it's kind of interesting they brought that up, but I fucking love this song, man. It's a bad song. I love that fucking evil-sounding riff in it. And it's, it's funny because, like, you hear the title, and, like, maybe you'll hear the music and don't listen to the lyrics fully. It sounds kind of like a goofy anthrax song, but it's actually a song about, uh... It was a song about homelessness, and I listened to the lyrics, and I even watched the video because it's actually the second video that was made for the album. And, I mean, it is about, like, the homeless situation, you know, and I can kind of relate. You know, I went through... I was... I went through a period of time where I was down on my luck, I was homeless, I was sleeping in my fucking car, you know, and it's it's not fun being homeless, but goddamn, this song fucking, it, as a former homeless person, I don't want this song to represent me or other homeless people, because goddamn, the <laughs> video, the video's just, the video ruins it for me, the video's just too preachy, it feels like one of those goddamn Sarah McLachlan commercials, you know, like the whole video is just like them trying to be like, we care, Anthrax cares like you know it's one of those videos where you got the guy like walking through like a village of like homeless children in like a third world country like this is Taji right here Taji <laughs> hasn't eaten in five years he's skin and bones right now what are you fucking doing to help out the hunger situation and the homeless situation you know meanwhile this guy flew in there he's probably got a shit ton of food <laughs> in his dressing room and he's not feeding these damn kids you know like, it just, it's real preachy. The video annoys the shit out of me because it's just like, oh, let's be pretentious. Let's show we care about the world. You know, it's kind of dumb, but the song yeah. is really fucking good. I think it's an amazing song. Great guitar work on it. Uh, really cool song, man. Just, uh, the, the video is just so stupid. And, uh, the video, I guess, too, it's, you know, a lot of people just know antisocial. But not a lot of people know this song had a video as well. Because I guess, uh, MTV, like, Really early on, they played me the video like once or twice, and I guess they pulled it because maybe they realized it was too pretentious. Yeah, they realized it was too pretentious, and I uh, Charlie Benate, uh, I believe it was Charlie Benate on an interview, got all pissy because he's like, "Man, fucking MTV pulled this video, but then Phil Collins puts out a video with homeless people, and mm. like it gets praised, and everyone talks about how great it is and whatnot, but our video gets fucking pulled for being too real, and it's like, no, your video was just pretentious." <laughs> <laughs> anthrax no one wants that shit from you no one wants you being like we are the fucking world or a sarah mclaughlin commercial we just want a fun thrash metal video from you but like i said I, I hate the stupid video i think it's just so pretentious and preachy and like look at us we care we're anthrax and we care are there, i so never stupid i never saw the video which is good oh it, I, like I, it, ruined the, it would ruin the song for me <laughs> Yeah, the video almost did kind of ruin the song for me, but, like, it, it's a good song. I love this song, but, man, the video is just so stupid and so preachy. It's like, hey, look at us. We care about the world. It, you know, get the fuck out of here, Anthrax. God damn it. I, I used to be homeless. I don't want you representing me and other homeless people. Get the fuck out of here. 
And I think holy it's- shit, too. If you thought Scott Ian's hairline looked bad in the antisocial video, watch this one. Holy shit. He, Scott Ian looks like a homeless person in this video with that damn hairline. <laughs> <laughs> ah, damn. You know, a, a good homeless person song is Cocksucker Blues from uh, the Rolling Stones. It, yeah, uh, I'll listen to it, man. I never heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a not big Rolling Stones fan, but I'll check it out. Yeah, you should check it out. It's about a homeless and, kid in New Orleans that's uh, sucking off cops to make money. Ooh. Yeah, that's 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 Ian. <laughs> So, so never got to that Ian? point in my life. It, it, it's, uh, hey, it, no comment. That's for Ian Wadley to respond to. <laughs> Dude, Sorry, I, Ian. I, I know admit, you need to walk on your trailway after me. Oh, my God. Dude, like, back in my partying days, I knew this guy. He, like, came to America from Turkey and used to hang out with me and, like, this group of friends I had. We'd go party and whatnot. Dude, this motherfucker was, like, so obsessed with, like, dude, what if I had to sick, suck dick for money, you know? And I'm like, well, you're not at that point. No one... This guy talked about sucking dick for money so much. We'd be at a party or something. <laughs> girls, this guy's talking about like, so like, what, what's it like sucking dick for? Like, what is it like like for people you know that suck dick for money? Like, how much money could I make sucking? Di- like, this guy just wanted to suck dick, and I feel like obviously, he's really obviously, obviously like, he's trying to get used to the idea before he yeah, has to do it. Like, listen, man, if you're gay and you want to suck a dick. That's cool, man. You don't gotta act go like do it. sucking dick's like a last fucking resort. But he <laughs> would always go on money. about sucking dick for money. It's like you don't want to get to that point, bro. You know, some people just really don't want to work. You know, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, that's working too. I mean, it is a job of sorts. <laughs> well, I was homeless, so I never got to that point of sucking dick for money because I. I, I hate being homeless, but I also I don't want to suck dick, so I'm not going to get to that point in my life. <laughs> but you see there, you were homeless a little bit longer than you needed to because yeah, because I didn't want to suck no dick yeah, for, so that, for money. That's on you, Eric. Maybe that's why this video just doesn't connect with you because you just didn't do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But oh my <laughs> God, so I, did. <laughs> I, so I got to be selfish here. And I gotta talk about the next song now. Oh, you I usually I'm usually polite and let everyone else go first, but I have to talk about this song. Best fucking song off the fucking album, and it is tied as my favorite Anthrax song of all time with "Inside Out." I'm not a big fan of John Bush, but I do "Inside Out" like my favorite Anthrax song. But this one is tied with "Inside Out" as my favorite favorite Anthrax song of all time. This song fucking rules. It's catchy, but still thrashy. This is like, if someone can't get into thrash, like they're trying to get into thrash, or into like, you know, traditional heavy metal, like Priest and Maiden and whatnot, but they still can't get quite into thrash, this is like the perfect gateway song that I would give to someone to get into thrash metal. This song is just perfect. It's hooky, but it's, it's thrashy. It's fun. It just, oh, it's just so infectious, man. The song's like crack. This song's like crack or like blow because you just can't get enough of it. And this song, like, it's so good, it posed a real problem when I was reviewing this album because I'd want to listen to the album from start to finish when I was studying it for this review. Problem is, I'd get to this song and I'd have to replay it like fucking 10 or 20 times because it's just so good. And the song about Dennis Hopper's character in the movie Blue Velvet, which... I actually have never seen that movie. I just remember the reference they made to it in Biodome, where they're doing like the, they're, they're like sniffing the like oxygen tank or whatever it is, and like you're like, look, I'm Dennis Hopper from Blue Velvet. Ooh, I'm slutty. Ooh, I'm slutty as he's doing the oxygen or whatever and getting high. So 
So I've never seen Blue Velvet. I know Edwin probably has seen it because he's kind of a movie buff, so he'll probably have a lot to say about. It, but God, what a great song! Best song off the album. One of the probably the best Joey Belladonna era Anthrax song, in my opinion. I, I really can't even say anything else about it except listen to it. It's fucking amazing. Joseph, what do you have to say about Now It's Dark? I, and to quote a douchebag by the name of Terrence Reardon, I hope you, you better like it, you son of a bitch. You know, when, when I hear you go on about this song and say so much great stuff, I gotta clean come off, off the floor because I just I, I know, you just, song. Well, you just blew a big one over this one. I, I, you know, I, you say so much great stuff, I really, <laughs> I hate so much to disagree with you about it. Oh! So I'm not gonna. Um, my all-time favorite <laughs> Anthrax song. This is my all-time favorite Anthrax oh, song. Oh, yeah, when I played, dude, when right, I first, right on. When I first proposed this album to you, I said, this song has my all-time favorite Anthrax song, and the rest is shit. And this well, is my all-time song, favorite my Anthrax song. And um, not only is this my all-time favorite Anthrax song, it is based on one of my favorite film, film performances of all time, Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. One of my favorite films. Weird fucking movie. Yeah, I've really never seen that movie, movie, but I feel like I need to watch it now because I love the song so much. You would love it. It is a weird movie. If you have you seen Twin Peaks? I have not seen Twin Peaks. Okay, so it, it's basically Twin Peaks. It's 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 a David Lynch movie. It's Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks with like the same actor, Kyle McLaughlin, as the lead character. Went uh-huh. before Twin Peaks, like after Dune, but before Twin Peaks. Um. Amazing movie. Um, oh, what's her name that was in um, uh, Jurassic Park? Um, oh, uh, goddamn, Jessica Lange? Or no, uh, not her. Uh, not her. Um, uh, Bond from. Goddamn, what's her name? She was in The Mask. Yeah. With, with Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Laura she's Dern's like, in that. Holy shit! I yeah, she's like now. the main female character, and like she was mm. younger. Um, and then, um. Dennis Hopper playing the, the villain. Yeah, I love Dennis One of Hopper. The greatest performances you've ever seen. And like literally, when you watch the movie, you will get every reference in this song. <laughs> like literally, all, almost every lyric in this song is a reference to something he says or does in that movie. And it 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 just makes you love the song even more. And the movie's just fantastic. It's a weird movie, but it's an amazing movie. It's it's gritty. It's dark. It it's 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 not for the faint of heart. I'll put it that way. Okay. But it's a Great, great. Wasn't David... You said David Lynch is the director, right? Yes. Was Is he the same guy that did Eraserhead? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah, okay. Then that's got to be a really fucking weird movie then yes. because Eraserhead oh, was fucking disturbing. Oh, it, I'll, I'll tell you the basic premise is this kid comes home to, to his dysfunctional family for some, for summer or something and finds a, a, a an ear in a cornfield. Like, that's, that's how movie... That's the basis of the movie, and like everything just kind of goes from there. And okay, kind of just—he's in this small town, but he discovers this kind of like seedy underbelly of the town, and co- comes across this man, Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper, who's yeah. just messed up. And and it, you you'll understand all the references in the song. Now it's dark. Even the title of the song is like a reference to Frank Booth. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a phenomenal song, phenomenal film, amazing, amazing performance by Dennis Hopper. Probably next to like something like Speed, one of my favorite Dennis Hopper performances. Yeah, I love him in uh, even though he had like a small role. Uh, I liked him in True Romance. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a yeah. big Easy Rider fan too. Yes. Oh, Easy Rider is great. 
Uh, Joey's voice, as, as much as I drag him on this other song, sounds phenomenal on this song. He sounds so good. This is the kind of singing I like out of Joey. He sounds phenomenal on this song. The lyrics are awesome. The solo rips. I just, I can't say enough good things about this song. My all-time favorite Anthrax song. Love it. You can shit all over the rest of this album, and I'll still forgive you because you <laughs> love this song. Because this song fucking rules, man. Edwin, what do you think? Hey, I thought I was going to be the guy that talked about Blue Velvet, but Joseph did it. So uh, before I get into the song, uh, Eric, yeah, you need to watch Blue Velvet. I'll have to check it out, man. This there week. Is a, there is a, I know you were talking about Criterion earlier. There's a phenomenal Criterion release of Blue Velvet. That's nice. what I have. I have the Criterion DVD. Uh, phenomenal release. Really good remastering. Great. Yeah, I'm version. I'm a big David Lynch fan, and it's my favorite David Lynch movie. It, nice. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. It's great. It, it, it's weird. It's not as weird as Eraserhead. Like Eraserhead, I view as like a full out avant garde movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's, strange movie. Yeah, it, it, that's more abstract. Yeah, this is a little less abstract. This kind of bridges the gap. That's why I kind of think it's David Lynch's uh, resounding masterpiece. It's like the perfect hybrid between like uh, avant garde filmmaking and some a somewhat like. Uh, normal narrative like you know it starts off weird but then it kind of turns into like kind of a detective story where he's kind of following this sexy lady and he gets like but like uh joseph said he discovers his seedy underbelly in the town a lot of the stuff that he would explore later in twin peaks but kind of more concise here and it's it's a great movie it's very erotic and cool and amazing imagery and it's my favorite dennis hopper role he's amazing in it and he has a real sense of menace. His character is just, he's just a character, you know, those characters on screen, you know, Heath Ledger was a little like that when he played the Joker, or a lot of characters Jack Nicholson played in like the 70s, when there's just like, you don't know what he's going to do next. There's a real unpredictable quality to the performance, and it's amazing, it's amazing. You could see why, yeah, uh, I'll say this for Scott Ian, he might be a dickhead, but he has good taste in things, you know. I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I like Blue Velvet and Stephen King books, too. So, yeah, I don't care if you're an A, if you're an asshole, but you still write great music, I'll still... I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, this guy is such an asshole, so I'm not going to listen to his music or like his music. Fuck that, man. If, if I, like Ralph, the great Ralph Vieira says, you know, if I was only going to listen to bands that aren't douchebags, I'd only listen to Armored Saint and Rush, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. It would be yeah. too many bands you can listen to. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. And, yeah, this song's amazing. And you know what? Uh, it was always my favorite song on the album. Right on. But, but I will say, before today, it was not my favorite Anthrax song. My favorite Anthrax song was Lone Justice. Um, Interesting. Oh, that's a different one. Yeah, I really love that song. But not anymore. Lone Justice has been knocked down to my second favorite song. Today, I decided that Now It's Dark is my third, is my favorite song. So now it's three. It's a three-way here on this one. It is my favorite all-time favorite Anthrax song. It is fucking awesome. Hell yeah, brother. The perfect way to open the second side. Yep. It's just heavier. I love the sound of the riffs. You know, that solo, and you hear even the bass work. Everything. The whole band's playing their, you know, bringing their, you know, A game here. And well, that chorus, too, just like, uh, you know, now it's dark. Don't yeah. you, you fucking look at me. Yeah, I just love that. It's 
still, you know, I'm still a little kid inside where, like, I hear the word fuck in a song sometimes, I'll still get excited. Just same way, same way I still watch, like, a horror movie, and, like, if I see some boobies, I'll still get excited, you know? It's also about the delivery, and this is yeah. what Joey was saying. This is the thing about Joey. Joey might not be, like, let's put it this way, all right? And again, big armored, same fan, love John Bush in that. Oh, I, know, I, I would always say that before, because I, I don't like insulting John Bush. Yeah, but a different kind of singer for a different kind of band. What I'm getting at is John Bush sounds like a cooler guy. He sounds like a guy, like I said, that you know he's going to get late. He gets on regular, exactly. And but yet, you know, if he sang these lyrics, I wouldn't believe as much. This is the thing because Joey's a little spazier. It makes him a little more dangerous in a way. Yeah, it that that spazzy guy might blow up and stab someone at a party because <laughs> he's sick of people making fun of him. <laughs> like, he's like that spazzy guy. He, he, he's like a farmer Ted. He's like the spazzy kind of nerdy guy, but he's got that coolness in him where he even among, he's the coolest guy amongst the nerds, and yeah, he's, he's the, the one of the nerds here. who's going to get laid, you know? And, and he can, that's the thing. That guy, there's an unhinged quality is what I'm getting at. And Joey yeah. Belladonna was very good at kind of doing this unhinged kind of schizo vocal style and it's very effective and very unique because like it's, it's again like we keep saying it's unique because you don't normally have guys with this vocal range or this style singing this more clean style singing like some guys yeah, like, for thrash like, music yeah like chuck billy had had a lot of range but he also had that strong raspiness you don't have a guy that has this range that sings clean. And that's yep. what's kind of different for Thrash. And what he brings is this kind of psychomanic thing that, to me, is the most distinguishable thing about Anthrax. And and I'll get back to the song. Just one more digression about why it yeah. stops. The, the, the mistake, the, the, the blunder that they made in the early 90s by getting rid of Joey Belladonna, it's a lot of hubris. And, of course, this hubris comes from Scott Ian primarily, but the other guys as well. I think they kind of got cocky and thought, like, Anthrax was about the music. And yet, they're a yeah. great band musically. But they're not one of these bands that I think musically distinguished themselves quite as much as some yeah. of the other They and, were... Because, like, uh, one thing that always kind of annoyed me with Anthrax is they always had that that choppy sound to them that they'd always do, like, constantly, where it got kind of annoying, where like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah. like, every song was just, like, that choppiness to it, and just, you know, after a while, it'd get kind of annoying. And that's not, like, like, like and that's, like, you as a diehard battle fan or a thrash fan, you could pick that out, the choppy, yeah. you know? But your average person is not gonna really even get that out of Anthrax. What, what they'd get out of Anthrax is all the things we're saying that they ran away from. The goofiness, Joey mm-hmm. Belladonna's vocals. Like, they're not as distinct musically as Metallica or Megadeth or Slayer. Uh, and when you look at singers, the funny thing is, like, John Bush, you know, was offered the job in Metallica, like, in yeah. the very early days. And the funny thing is, even though it worked out great for them, obviously, James Hetfield, I could hear that working. Like, John Bush, yeah. I could hear singing for Metallica. Like, to me... He's his got vocal- that style voice that would work for their music. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just like Hetfield, but with more range. Like, yeah, that kind of could have worked. And Metallica still would have been successful either way. And I think Chuck Billy could have sang for Metallica. And again, I think they, it could have worked. But, you know, what, what I'm getting at is, like, 
some bands you can switch the singers and maybe they can work. And like obviously like ACDC or Iron Maiden. But I would say that's because they had other elements. As great as Bon Scott was, it's the Angus Young show. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and it's the Young Brothers. It's Malcolm's riffs and it's Angus's showmanship. That's what ACDC. That's as long as they had that, they could switch singers. You know, as long as it was Damn a good, right. good singer. Iron Maiden, you know, and we we poke fun at Iron Maiden a lot. Yeah. But, but you know what? Steve Harris's gallop on his bass, and you got Eddie behind him. And that's pretty much it. You got Army. You got Steve Harris's face, and you got Eddie the mascot. You still have the fundamental thing. And again, I hate to bring it up, but like Van Halen, like we're all like David Lee Roth fans here. But to your average person, you have Eddie Van Halen, and he was moving in that keyboard-driven direction after 1984. What I'm getting at is, it's still even though it was a lesser, popular Van Halen. It still was Eddie Van Halen was still a very distinct musical presence is what I'm getting at. Just I'm gonna go throw up now. God it's damn the it. truth. You <laughs> might not like it, but it's the truth. Eddie Van those albums still sold well, not in the long run as well as the David Lee Roth ones, but they at kept, the time. Yeah, but at the time, yeah, at the time, at the time, they maintained a career, and I'm saying partially because Eddie Van Halen and the band still established a strong musical presence. What I'm getting at is Anthrax delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Scott Ian and company thought that Anthrax was this entity that could survive changing a singer. And they weren't. They just weren't because the thing that was most distinguishable about them was actually the fucking singer they fired. Mm-hmm. Joey Peladon yeah, exactly. is the thing that people were, that made them stick out. And, and, and uh, Yeah, it totally. And... What are you saying, Joseph? I I was going to agree with you. As much as I love Sound of White Noise, you're absolutely right. Because it's like, you you look at Anthrax, and as much as they think... They're they're kind of like... I've kind of viewed them as the Motley... They're like the Nikki Six of thrash metal. We're musicians. Meanwhile, they they would never be able to pull off something like Call of Cthulhu or Orion, like Metallica could. They would never be able to pull off the, the just like the extended shredding that Megadeth could on like Holy Wars or something like that, and they could never ever pull off the breakdowns that Slayer could. Yeah. So it's that every single one of those bands take themselves too seriously. Every single one of those bands had something identifiable. Metallica had the amazing melody and harmony. Yep. Megadeth had the the shredding. Slayer had the really heavy breakdowns. Anthrax was generic thrash behind Joey's vocals. As much as I'm not a huge... Um, as long as, as much as I say I'm hit or miss on Joey, I'm hit or miss on Anthrax, like, in general. Yeah. But, like, that was Anthrax, was Joey. Yeah, Anthrax. yeah. And it's that like, was the they, thing that made him stand out, man, was those those vocals by Joey Belladonna. He didn't sound like any other thrash singer. He had a very clean, more, like, you know, more technically better singing style than most uh, thrash bands. And that's kind of what made them unique, and that's what made people... He was really a big reason why a lot of people were able to get into Thrash. He helped make that bridge. Yeah, and like I said, the manic spazziness was a character. Yep. It's a personality that was very unique. And it's all over this song. You know, and that's just... Perfectly on this. Yeah, it's like, you know, when he screams, along with the gang vocals, that's the thing, too, is... Mm-hmm. They, it was a real good contrast. Like when John Bush sang with him, it's a raspy, tough-sounding guy with some tough yep. vocals behind him. It kind of gets washed out. But when you have Joe, you know, 
Belladonna with them was a little closer to like uh, Bon Scott or David Lee Roth with the, the backing vocals. Like there was just there was a nicer contrast that was part of their personality. So when you heard jo- jo- Joey Belladonna, but then you had these hardcore punk vocals underneath him during these like choruses, it was re- it was it just sounded really full and interesting and like a crazy fucked up party that you're at, <laughs> you know. And this song is the best example of that. It's an amazing song. It's Anthrax at their best. You know, and this is like a song. They never play this song live. It's like, what's, what's the fucking problem? This is, this is like one of your best songs. I swear to God, if, they, if this song's not on the set list for their upcoming tour, I may not. That, that'll be a big deciding factor in whether I go see them live or not, <laughs> if I they mean, play the song or not. This song should be a treasure to them. They should realize yeah. it's one of their best songs. And you know what? I think a lot of this, I think this album... If people discovered it, I think a lot of people are going by just like the old, you know, version that they had on cassette from the 80s, and maybe because they thought the songs weren't as memorable as a couple of the the big hits from the other albums. But you know, if they sat down and listened to this album from beginning to end, I think a lot of these metal fans that didn't like it back then, maybe Joseph being the exception, but I think <laughs> a lot, I think a lot of them would get into it like you and me, because you know I didn't love this album for years, but now it's like yeah, this album kicks ass. It's one of those. And Flick of the Switch was an album like that in the '80s. A lot of people didn't like Flick of the Switch, but now it's like a, a fan favorite. A lot Amazing of hardcore, album. Yeah, a lot of hardcore ACDC fans love this. And, you know, I just think it's an album like that. I feel like if, if people kind of gave this album a chance, but I understand part of it is, this is the problem, it's like ACDC, people want to give ACDC a chance because they're cool and they're awesome and they're not dickheads. But <laughs> they're not Anthrax, the guys on the bus with the headgear and the yeah. reading the comic books, you know, breathing all awkwardly. I, yeah, and unlike Scott you know. and Angus Young's not like talking to interviewers every couple years saying yeah. bullshit that annoys people. <laughs> so, exactly. so people are willing to give their like Dark Horse albums a shot. But Anthrax, people are like, oh, fuck you guys. I'll know some of your hits, but you know, I'm not going to give your Dark Horse albums a shot because you're a dickhead. Scott Ian. So it's it's like, but you know, try to look past his dickhead, <laughs> his bald dickhead, <laughs> and, and fucking listen to this goddamn album. It's awesome. But you know what? I want to go into the next song. But before you before you do that, I just want to go back on something you said about this about now it's dark. Something yeah. to point out to Eric. I think that one of the things I like so much about this song is what you said, Edwin, about Joey's schizophrenic vocals. And I think Eric, that's something that you will appreciate even more. You gush about this song so much now. I think you'll appreciate it, appreciate it even more when you watch Blue Velvet. Uh-huh. His schizophrenic vocals on this song match perfectly with the characterization of Dennis Hopper in that nice. movie. Nice. It, it, the way, like you said, the line, don't you fucking look at me, it, that's a direct line from the movie. Like, that's... Yeah. But it, and the way he says it, it's, it's so reminiscent, and that was something that makes me love this song even more, and Joey's delivery is just how accurate it is to the movie and how perfectly it represents that. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's one of the big reasons I want to watch this movie now, because... Like I said, I, I heard about the movie in Biodome, and it's actually probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they're snort, like sniffing the oxygen tank, getting high. He's like saying, "Hey, I'm Dennis Hopper in Blue Belt. Oh, I'm slutty." Uh, like I love that part of that movie, and uh, yeah, just hearing the song and you know the fact that it's my favorite song off the album, probably one of my favorite Anthrax songs. I really feel the need, like I need to watch that movie now because of it. 
Yeah, you totally have to, and they mm-hmm. yeah, totally capture it. You'll never drink Heineken or Pabst Blue Ribbon again without thinking of it. Yeah. After you watch it. <laughs> I'm, a, well, I'm a Canadian beer drinking guy. Yeah. Well, let me go into the next song, because uh, we talked about them. now it's dark for like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, holy shit, we talked about that song for a well, long time. Well, to me, I might be alone on this one, but to me it's a one-two punch. This is my second favorite song on the album. Right on. Well, I said I think the album peaks in the middle here. I to me, Schism right after now it's dark. Schism fucking kicks ass. It's just balls to the wall. The riffage is awesome. Love the guitar riffs and again that manic crazy chorus from Joey. I love when he goes scuzz scuzz schism scuzz scuzz schism. Like he, <laughs> he says scuzz scuzz. I love it. You know, and it's just so New York. And oh, don't say that. <laughs> what, what I love about New York, hey, you love Overkill, you know? Yeah, well, and Jersey though, that's not. Uh, no, I, I hate, my problem is New York City. I don't like New York City. Uh, hey, of, love, the Rangers uh, are about to lose, so yeah, I I have the game on in the background. I keep peeking over, you know, and I'm like, yeah, 15 seconds <laughs> left, boy. <laughs> Aren't you a Kiss fan? You know, Kiss is from New York, and hey, I'm a Kiss fan, but they done a lot of shit to piss me off, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so the verdict's out on New York. Yeah, yeah. they. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, to me, don't. Um, Just for the record, the New York Rangers have officially lost. So there, that should make you hate New York. But Schism to me has a vibe. It's just badass. It's you know, it's that bridge between punk and hardcore. But punk and hardcore players can't play like this. Thrashy. It's intricate and quick. And again, it's it's a song that you feel is fast. But then I look at the time here. It's like eh, it's like over five minutes. But it just speeds along. It's Fun, heavy metal, thrash music, and it's one of my favorite songs. And again, this is an album that I do think is very similar to my favorite Testament album, even though the mood, it's like night and day, is Souls of Black. It's kind of like their yin-yang. Like, Souls of Black is that rushed, dark horse album from Testament that the bands say the same thing. Like, oh, we rushed that album and blah, blah, blah. It's not fully complete. But to me, I love its rawness. But that album... Is very raw and sludgy and kind of Sabbath-like, you know, and very dark. And this is very bright, you know, like the album cover. It's very bright yeah. sounding. It's very dry. It's yeah, it's got a kind of tinny, dry sound to it. And it's kind of like I said, even though the songs like now it's dark and stuff like that. Even though the lyrical content's kind of dark, the execution is kind of bright and fun. Like even. And I know we're going back to now it's dark again, <laughs> but it's That's just a like good song, yeah. yeah but yeah. it. It's, it's because they're dropping F-bombs and stuff. In a way, it makes it feel a little less dark and a little more fun, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. there's just this attitude, and you get this again, and you get it big time with the last song when we get to that. But this album, you know, and again, it's just like the, this uh, identity crisis. Like, like, they do this video, like, who cares wins, you know, and it's like, you know, a fucking Phil Collins to Save the World song video but it's just like dude that's that's not what this album overall is that's not what you that's not the yeah. takeaway the takeaway from this album is that this is a fucking fun thrash party and you know and schism's just a great fun party thrash song and i love it it's my second favorite song on the album and what do you think of it joseph yeah i think it's funny how you even pointed out who cares wins and you said this is a fun thrash song i like I like the song. I like the. I really like, like the the Zeppelin esque like bottom drum intro. I think it's really cool. I think I love the riff that you pointed out. Great riff. 
I, I, I think uh, Joey sounds great on it, but, and I was going to say this when Eric was talking about the video for Who Cares Wins, what he said about the video and how he thinks it's just this stupid, like, like over-the-top, like, trying-to-be-pretentious bullshit. That's what I think of the lyrics of this song. But it's about racism, right? It's about... It's, yeah. it's, it's basically the sequel to Indians. In, on the last album, we cared about the red folk. But on this album, we care about the black and the white folk, too. Um, yeah, and they did it again in Keeping they did it again in the for Family. Didn't they? And, and, they did it, and they did it... And they even did it a second time on Ant Among the Living with One World. But they um, make it. But Joey makes it sound fun. He makes it yeah, sound but if you fun to be. The lyrics, the lyrics are so freaking pretentious on this song. <laughs> the lyrics on this song, as much as Joey's voice sounds awesome and like the riff is really cool and it sounds fun, if you look at the lyrics, it is so god awful pretentious. Yeah. Like it's basically. Scott Ian's just sent like like. Is this, is this, did Scott Ian write the lyrics to this? Yeah, he wrote all the lyrics. Okay. So this is Scott Ian's response to Indians, pretty much, is what I view this as. Indians was like Joey Belladonna's singing about yeah. the Indians. It's, the thing is, too... Cry for the Indians. Joey just, Belladonna's at least, like, he is Indian. He yeah, like, Indian. It makes sense. Where Scott Ian's exactly. just... He's like that white kid in the he, suburbs he's that white wants to black and from the street. Like, yeah, he's literally trying, like, with between the rap and the public enemy stuff. He's literally that white kid that's speaking in ebonics. Like, that's yeah. what it is. Like, it's, and I think it's, like, it, it's kind of tone-deaf, and I think it's just kind of really pretentious, the lyrics. As much as I think it is a fun song, I just, like, I, I liked it when I first heard it, and then I looked, I, I looked at the lyrics for all the songs the last time I heard it, because I wanted to take more notes, lyric-wise, and stuff like that, and I looked at the lyrics, and I'm like, oh my god, that's what he's singing? <laughs> Joseph, you do too much reading for your own good. I, I know. I'm, I'm a, I, I have a history degree. What can I say? Um, that's, that's, I, I, hey, that was I, my I, favorite I, class in middle school. That's I what gets you for all that reading. All that reading. Oh, yeah, reading, boy. That's, that's, that's going to ruin a good thrash album. Yeah, doing all that that's, reading. That, that's what that, that's what that $100,000 degree got me. It made me hate a good thrash song. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I think it's great musically I think the intro is awesome the riff is awesome Joey sounds great but my god Scott Ian's a fucking douchebag <laughs> oh yeah I agree <laughs> so what, what do you think of this song lyrical content uh, aside Eric <laughs> <laughs> lyrical content aside I think it's a badass song man and uh, this is probably like uh, I talked I think it was about uh, I think it was about you know the First song or the second song about Dan Spitz having some great solos. This yeah. song's another amazing solo by uh, Dan Spitz. But yeah, you know, the lyrics are annoying because this... Indians was a cool song, but that's because come... it's Joey Baldown, who actually is Native American, singing about Native American issues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas Scott Ian comes off as... Scott Ian's totally like that kid in like element in uh, high school... He comes from a suburban high school with a bunch of rich kids, and he's just the guy that he wants to be black. He listens to a lot of rap music and tries to act like he's all hard and from the streets and whatnot when he's living like a plush, like, you know, big house with his family, doesn't have to work a job, you know. He just comes off as like that asshole that he wants to be from the streets. He wants to be tough. He wants to be, he wants that street cred when he's really just like a white boy, you know. So the lyrics are kind of like, it, they give off that vibe of pretentious and annoying, that white kid that wants to be from the streets, whatnot. Uh, but if you put that aside, man, it's a 
badass song. Really great song, killer. You know, there's not really much else I can say about it that you two haven't already said. And while we go into, I'm gonna let Ed Eduardo take this song because it's another song based off both a Stephen King novel and a movie. And I know you're the you're the writer and the the movie guy, Edwin. So why don't you talk about Misery Loves Company? What's the movie out yet? When this no, no, no like the movie no, was actually it, not out. This yet. was two, two years book. before the movie. Yeah, that's what I think. So it was just the book. Yes, yep. which I think but, is you know, even, we, we I think it's really cool because that's an amazing movie. I oh love my, movie. yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a good adaptation. Of course, Kathy Bates nailed it. Uh, James Caan, great actor. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was good adaptation. Well, that was a time period. God, in the seventies and eighties, you had all these wonderful adaptations of Stephen King books. And that was yeah. even the same year that the It yeah. series came out. Yeah, it was that a great was, time. That was 1990s, so I still technically consider that the 80s. It's mm-hmm. like persistence of time. Yeah, if yes. we consider things that are 1990. <laughs> if we can 80s. lump in persistence of time with 80s anthrax, we can lump no, in. No, keep that shit far away from 80s anthrax. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that well, album. It is a great well because the movies that got that came out in 1990, they were being made in 89. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one thing about me, uh, I never really talked about this. I might have mentioned it briefly in some of my ACDC videos on YouTube, but in, um, when I, ent- actually I would say towards the end of elementary school, like fifth grade or whatever, I got very into Stephen King. He was the first non-comic book writer, like I read, like, you know, um, yeah. or like not counting children's books and shit like that, you know, educational books. Like he was the first, like first I, I, I bought, maybe I like read some novelizations, like, and I might've read like Peter Benchley's Jaws, but, uh, at, Things that weren't related to movies that I had seen, Stephen King was like the first writer I got into. Like when I got into a writer just because I like that writer. Like so. For me, it was R.L. Stein, but I'm a 90s baby, so for us it was <laughs> yeah. R.L. Stein. Then we graduated to Stephen King when we got a little older. Yeah, I was a kid in the 80s, and in the 80s, you know, Stephen King's a rock star. You would walk in the mall, and you would see, like, there would like the bookstores, like, you know, his books were always on display. and They, they always still are. <laughs> yeah, and they still have cool displays and cool covers. And I had a uh, my mother's best friend, uh, who I called Aunt. She was Aunt Franny. Uh, it wasn't actually a biological aunt, but she was, like, my mom's best friend, so I called her an aunt. And she was a huge Stephen King fan, and she had all the original hardcovers of his books. And to me, it was like kind of similar to like going through if you had that relative that had the, the cool like you, you guys know like the heavy metal album like albums from the eighties. Yeah. And, and you look at the covers and you're like, ooh, this looks cool. And there was a similar vibe to going through my aunt's Stephen King hardcovers. Like I'd go through and see the covers for like It and Christine and like Pet Cemetery and. Like, you just, I'd get pulled in. I was like, ooh, I want to read this. This looks cool. And, of course, by that point, I'd seen some of his movies, some of the, you know, books that were based on his movies on TV. Had a, you know, as a kid, had HBO. So, uh, so I got really into it. So I got, like, fanatic, you know, I would talk about doing the deep dive with albums. Well, I, Stephen King was the first writer I did a deep dive with with his books. And this was, like, kind of between, I would say, fifth and seventh grade. I read every Stephen King book that was out. I went back. I would buy all his books, some mostly paperbacks. You know, I couldn't afford the hardcovers. It was before the Amazon, you know, marketplace. You know, so I just had a lot of paperbacks. So anyway, so I was a huge, huge Stephen King fan, and I read Misery before I saw the movie. Like I think, like that was actually, I think that was the first new Stephen King book I read actually, because that was like a new book. Yeah, you know, actually, Scott, this album was rushed because this book. 
I think came out like just a few months before this album came out. So like it must have been one of the last songs they wrote. Um, I think it's late 87 or early 88 that book came out. So because I remember because it was like the first new book. And that was about the time period I got into Stevie King was late 87, 88. June 87. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe it was already out for a few months. It was like maybe 88 when I read it. So and I hadn't heard this album yet. I didn't get into Anthrax, you know, like I said, until Persistence. So it was before this album. Um, so I didn't hear this album yet. Is that a cat? Is that Cat's Eye? Stephen King's Cat's Eye we're hearing? What's going on there? What's happening? What's up? Erica, talking to you. It's, it, it, did your cat come in? Yeah, no, my cat, my cat like jumped up on the counter and my earbuds fell out too at the same time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Cat's Eye. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Church from Pet Cemetery. Anyway, yeah. so, uh, so I was a huge Stephen King fan. So anyway... Going back, so, and Mystery's not even one of my favorite Stephen King books and movies, but it's still pretty good. I still like it. But, you know, this was, I kind of associate Stephen King with Thrash, because I remember before Anthrax, and I know this is unusual, but I got into Testament before Anthrax, they had, you know, Disciples of the Watch, which was inspired by Children of the Corn. And so it was like, it was like an in vogue thing in the late 80s for a lot of Thrash fans to base stuff on Stephen King books, you know. And Anthrax had done it a couple times. They did it, actually two songs from the, the prior album, um, Among the Living, The Walking Dude, that's, you know, The Stand, yeah. and, but also Skeletons in the Closets, uh, based on the novella Apt People. So, obviously, you know, Scott Ian, you know, he had, good, like I said, he had good taste in books and movies, even though oh, he's yeah. a And, you know, it's cool. So it's a, it, this is like, better for him this like better than trying to solve you know racism and homelessness yeah <laughs> for real. You know, just write a thrash song about that that you just finished reading you know it fits it fits the themes and it's good i think the song it's great i would say it's got like a mid-tier song on this album but a mid-tier song on this album is kick ass because you know i think every song kicks ass on this album and you know i really like it uh it, it's getting not i wouldn't say it's a standout but it keeps the party going. You know, love the vocals. Again, Joey, you know, Joey sells this. I think with his manic, crazy spazziness, and <laughs> you know, it's it's great. You know, I I I think the thing that works against it for a lot of people is one of the things I love about it is the sameness. It's very consistent. Whereas Among the Living starts off strong and then putters out. To me, yeah. this. Just keeps on trucking along. It's and like you you have sex with a hot chick and you come way too early, and then you try getting hard again, and then you just have this awkward like trying to stay hard and like keep having sex with her, and she's just losing fucking interest kind of thing. That's how I feel that album is. And this album's like a slutty, average-looking chick that knows how to throw you a really good fuck for yeah for fifty-two for a, it's minutes. A good sex all around, <laughs> everyone's satisfied. Like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> She's not the prettiest bitch in the world. Yeah, but she yeah. knows how to she knows how to keep it going for fifty two you know, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, yeah. So that's how I feel about Misery Loves Company. What do you think of it, Joseph? I mean, I can't really add much. Uh, Edwin kind of said everything I kind of think about, it, and I think it's a good song. I mean, I think I don't think it's a standout, but like kind of like you said, I think it's really fun to know that he wrote this song two years before it really blew up with the movie. Yeah. I think it's really just interesting when I'm like when I was listening to lyrics that I didn't doesn't mean it's got I didn't really know I didn't really notice beforehand that it was based on that and I was listening to the lyrics when I first listened to it for this review I was like oh oh this is based on misery oh that's cool that's it's a cool little fact about it it's really fun 
I really like Misery, the book and the movie. Uh, all I know is uh, with the next Antax album, I'm just waiting for the song they write about Maximum Overdrive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, ACDC beat them to it. Yeah, oh, well, no, they didn't write. The they, they wrote a song for that. They wrote a song for it. They didn't write a song about it. Be, oh, totally Nobody bad. would ever write a song about it. <laughs> but you can't do it now. Now that ACDC wrote a song for it, you can't yeah. write a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, let me just say for the record, I fucking love Maximum Overdrive. That oh, fucking movie rules. That's a, that's a weird movie. I love that's it. That's a you fun know, movie, you man. Know that's, I love it. It is really fun. If if Stephen King and this was at his peak cokeheadness, he was like, hell he, yeah, he was direct. You know, he directed it. Oh yeah, he wanted all in on that movie. Oh yeah, it's his only movie he directed, and, and he it, will never do one again because yeah, <laughs> it's a big flop. The only thing that was successful was the ACDC soundtrack from it, and it was a Dude, big every, flop. every but, movie would be better with ACDC in the soundtrack. Fucking oh, Cinderella. Close Encounters, Saving Pirate Ryan. All oh, through ACDC on that soundtrack, that shit's gonna be amazing. I mean, look at Iron Man 2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that one. I think it helped. It that was a hell of a soundtrack. That, that soundtrack they released from it? They yeah. should have actually used all the songs that they had on the soundtrack in the movie. What hell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's honestly the funniest thing is that that soundtrack is like the only greatest hits album they've ever released. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got like Evil Walks on. Oh it. yeah, Evil yeah. Walks is on there. Yeah, War Machines on there. It was a good compilation. Yeah. I don't know if John Palmer did it or whoever put together the songs. It, they they had good taste. It was oh, a good yeah. compilation. Um, but yeah, who, well, who made who? Uh, and Maximum Overdrive. That's what got me into ACDC. It was, really? was that yeah, it was nice. first time I heard ACDC was in that movie. That that was the phase. So yeah, I was very into it. Stephen King was high on a lot of cocaine. He directed it. It was a big bomb. He never directed again. It's too bad. Otherwise, he might have yeah. done a really coked up Pet Cemetery. Like he might have directed that. But, hey, uh, cocaine leads to a lot of great things, man. <laughs> cocaine's a hell of a drug, like Ian Wobbly says. A hell of a drug. Cocaine's a hell like of a Rick drug. James, uh, Rick James said, "Cocaine's a hell of a drug." <laughs> I'm sad. Why? Why did the movie go in front? Uh, public deny us more coked up Stephen King movies. Damn, yeah. I mean, I want to see more coked up Stephen King movies. I, I want, <laughs> it was the eighties. Everyone was doing blow. I want more movies with Green Goblin, eighteen wheelers. I used oh, more. Of yeah, it. yeah. Fucking, you know, Black Hill may love Emilio Estevez when he's like coaching the Mighty Ducks or this oh, or yeah. that, but I like Emilio Estevez blowing up fucking trucks, man. See, I love Pat Pat Hingle making just a random appearance oh, in that movie. Like, yeah. He's got he, a fucking bazooka. Between when he was popular with the Westerns in the 50s and 60s, and then when he, when he got his resurgence as Commissioner Gordon with the Batman movies, he just randomly shows up in freaking Maximum Overdrive. My fa favorite moment is, it's my favorite ACDC instrumentals, DT. DT. Badass. Yeah, yeah, I love DT. And a lot of people don't know what they, they think it's uh, DT's, like uh, DT's drunk. It's not. It actually stands for, it's connected to the movie, Diesel Truck. Yep. That's why it's nice. DT. So the scene with the kids on the bicycle and he's like uh, going through the town and you see all the fucked up people and DT's playing, I love that moment. To me, that's pure cinema. Steve King knew what he was doing. <laughs> I guess there's supposed to be, there's one scene where like a, one of the kids got like ran over by like a, it was a steamroller. Oh, there's yeah. supposedly a deleted scene where like his head actually like bust open and it was deleted because it was considered too violent. I'd love to see it. Love to have them recover that scene and put it into like a like an uncut version of the movie. 
I you also like a Shout Factory DVD. Yeah, Shout, Shout Factory. Factory. You need to get on that shit. They should play it up too, because you got uh, star- you got uh, stars from Breaking Bad and The Simpsons that are also in Max yeah. Overdrive. Do what they did with My Bloody Valentine. Make a make a cut with all the with all the gore back in it. Oh, uh, <laughs> be awesome. Yeah, I want to see the I want to see the Criterion Collection version of. Oh, they Max wouldn't Over. touch that movie. <laughs> hey, they did a Michael Bay film. Why not a Stephen King? That, that would be like that would be their April Fool's Day prank. Would be announcing Maximum Overdrive. Drive. Well, at very least, like you said, we could get the Shout Factory. They oh, should yeah. do a you Shout Factory. Call me an asshole. I think I think they did do a, a Blu-ray release not too long ago. I can't remember what company did it. I don't think it was Shout Factory, but there was a, a really weirdly expensive. A release. There was a weirdly like like it was like a thirty-five dollar Blu-ray release of Maximum Overdrive. I'm like, no, who the hell's paying thirty-five dollars for a Maximum Overdrive Blu-ray? <laughs> I'd do it. I'd pay I, for it. I'd buy it. It'd be Edwin. It'd be Edwin. I'm about to drop like a hundred dollars. Like next paycheck, I got Godzilla Zilla box set. Oh, oh, you got the cro- I got that. The cro- I, I, well, I'm gonna it? get my next like next payday. I want to get that. I, I want to. The only thing I hate is like it's so it's fucking big. It's not big enough to fit on a standard DVD shelf. No, no I have a book. I have it. Well, I have. I have like a coffee table. You got buy yourself a coffee table to go along with it. I have a coffee. table. Uh, no, I like all my DVDs together in order. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No, it's not, not, not going to work. Thing's, like I said earlier to you, Eric, it's literally like one of those old things uh, you get to put all the state quarters in. That yeah. really pissed me off. No, I was yeah. like, this is bullshit. Uh, but you know, it's a, it makes for a nice centerpiece in a living room. <laughs> and, 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 the, and, the, and the thing that pissed me off the most is they actually designed amazing cover art for each of the movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I like that's all the Japanese ones too. I like I can read subtitles. I it doesn't bother yeah. me. Yeah, it's a, I I agree. It's a little cumbersome, and I would like it if it was in a kind of more traditional box, but. It's still it's cool and the you know it's, you get all the films in the Blu-rays. There were there was actually DVD versions that were done a few years back. There I oh, actually awful. Yeah, but uh, no, no, I'm talking about um, the import ones that yeah. had both lives. I thought that was pretty good. Oh I no, those. yeah, no, those ones were not. I know Sean, actually. Yeah, I know Sean Bob. I had a couple of those, and then sadly, the, I, the one, the sadly I lost case. them because I was homeless, and Anthrax didn't actually help me. They just made a shitty music video. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? And also, Scott Ian, are you racist? Why don't you write songs about Gazelle? You know, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oyster Cult could do it. Why not you, Scott? Yeah, Ian? why not you? Yeah. You got something against Asians? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, what's going on, man? They, they, sang, they sang about Indians. They sang about black and white people. Where, where are Asians, songs about though, Asians? Boy, yeah. Asian people are cool as fuck, we're, man. So many we're up here exposing Scott Ian. Yeah, Scott Ian hates Asians. It's yeah, out there. Scott Ian hates Asians. There goes our Scott Ian interview. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as if it, as if the last two and a half hours didn't already blow that. <laughs> what song are we talking about? Are you talking about what is it? Misery loves company. I think so. <laughs> Uh, during that whole segment, you got to play DT a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> I will play. You know, I'll, I'll add that in. You got, I'll write that down in my notes. <laughs> a lot of Godzilla sounds. Yeah, DT goes into BOC's Gazelle. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Eric, what do you think of Misery Loves Company? <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I love this song. It's a great song. Um, and I, I love that movie Misery. I remember watching it like on TV as a kid, and. Uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't, real little kid, I didn't appreciate as much. You know, when you're a kid, you just want to see, like, a monster or something real scary. And so like, a movie like that really didn't scare me as much. Because I'm like, oh, who's this fat lady? And, uh, it doesn't really, this isn't scary. But as you get older, you realize, wow, this is, like, really genius. 
And this is actually, like, really terrifying. It's, like, something that can really happen. Uh, you know, maybe you're famous or something, or you're a writer or something like that, and you got some kind of stalker that follows you around. And, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty scary movie, man, and really good movie, though. Kathy Bates just kills it in that movie. You know, she is just... She's so perfect in it, you know, or she she's hot and cold, man. She could be like the sweetest person in there and just snap at like the like the the flick of a switch, you know. But man, it's a great song. Someone made a cool music video where it had like footage of that movie uh, spliced with uh, with the song in the background. I love this tune, man. Just another catchy Anthrax fucking song, thrashy, but it's accessible to someone that maybe not who doesn't like thrash. Uh, really cool tune, man. Um, and apparently in the movie Misery Loves, in the movie Misery, James Conn's traveling to New York, and that's when all hell breaks loose, which is a warning to everyone, <laughs> don't go to New York, because that's the kind of shit that happens. New York just brings bad shit. So, I will say this, New York, like, Godzilla is awesome, but then he goes to New York and suddenly he sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suddenly, uh, Matthew Broderick and Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's, he's just some bitch that's underground laying eggs <laughs> when he comes to New York. Yeah, but man, Every, everything bad funny. happens in New York. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything bad happens in New York, specifically New York City. But yeah, Misery Loves Company, great fucking song, and that leads to. I mean, the last two songs are basically one song because the thirteen is yeah. basically an intro. So I, I'm I gonna change talk it about up it separately. <laughs> he wants to talk and let Joseph, Joseph take yeah. thirteen. Joseph, talk about thirteen as a separate entity. I, I think, well, I I think they are separate. I think they are separate because there is a clear break between thirteen and uh, finale. I think thirteen is pointless. It is awful. It's just them fucking around for a while. It is awful, and it's just it's just atrocious. And I don't know why they included it on the album, especially for people for. People like Scott Ian who try to present themselves as serious musicians and try to, oh, we, we, the music stands out. It's literally you hitting a bunch of wrong notes for a minute and a half. Like, what's the point of that? It's, it's, why, why would you even include it? And I think it's, I think it distracts from the flow of the album. And I think the album actually picks up a little bit towards the end with the second half. I like the second half a lot better than the first half of this album. And I think that this just distracts from the flow of that album, of the second half of the album. I think it's pointless. I don't think they should have put it here at all. Okay, now I'm curious. What do you think of 13, Eric? Uh-oh. He's still in the bathroom. Oh, is he still? Oh, I got to talk about 13? He's back. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what do you think of 13? Uh, Me? Yeah. All right. Uh, 13, man, uh, it's a short little intro, and uh, maybe I, you know, most people probably may kind of shit on it, but... I kind of like it, man. It's a shouldn't really be its own track. It's basically just an intro to the final song finale. But I really like it, man. It's just some great bass work and drum work by uh, Charlie and Frankie. Uh, I like I said, you know, early in the episode, I think Anthrax one of their one of their biggest strengths uh, besides Joey Baldana's vocals is that rhythm section. Uh, Charlie Bonate and Frankie Bello. You know, Frankie Bello didn't play on the first album, which is my favorite Anthrax album. Uh, Frankie's a hell of a bass player, and he just mix him with Charlie Bonate, who's a great drummer. That's just one of the best rhythm sections in, uh, in thrash metal, in my opinion. And, uh, it's just, it's cool, it's a cool little, like, showcase for them, like, just kind of show off their skills. 
Uh, really cool, so really cool little instrumental to lead into the final track, which is appropriately titled "Finale." Eduardo, what do you think of "Finale"? Well, let me just say, Joseph disagreed with you when you were in the bathroom about the musicianship. Oh, the <laughs> <laughs> it took me. A, I will admit, it took me a little bit long. I pissed. I actually peed on the floor. My pee shot out like three different directions, and I had to clean it up really quick. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> that sounds about like this song. It shot out in three different directions, and none of them did. I don't mind. I'm, <laughs> I like, I'm somewhere in the middle but with 13, but it's a fine little instrumental. I like, yeah, it's just, you know, the you know bass and drum, they're fucking around a little bit. It adds a little punk vibe to it, and then it just sets it off. I think it needs a little something between Misery Loves Company and Finale just to make Finale sound a little more ass-kicking. It's just a touch of contrast. And again, you know, they're not doing the stereotypical thing of, like, ooh, a flamenco acoustic guitar, you know, thing. Like, they're just yeah. trying to... They're trying to find ways to add contrast without ripping off Metallica too heavily. So, you know, more power to them for finding ways to do that. But, yeah, obviously it's not a real song. The real song is Finale. I love Finale. It's my third favorite song on the album fucking kicks ass and normally i don't i don't like songs that end albums normally there's a few exceptions but it's like to me the doors had the end that's it that was like the definitive last song that has yeah. a title or it has like something like the end or finale or something like that yeah, i feel like after the doors don't try it again stop having titles like <laughs> end you're never gonna you're never gonna have a song that sounds more appropriately like the end than the end so think, think something else think of something else you know the beatles did a day in the life thought something else you know think of something else but that being as unoriginal as calling the last song finale is uh i the song kicks ass again kind of you know i don't really care about the lyrics so much the song kicks ass <laughs> It's heavy. It's it's the, I think the heaviest song on the album, but again, heavy in a very unique Anthrax way. It's very punky, and I love how it rages out at the end. It just kind of rages out. Yeah. Every everything I like about this album is just hitting full steam at this at with this song. It's just like everything's building up, and in a way, I kind of feel like everything is like this is one of those albums again, like Flick of the Switch and Point of Entry, where I kind of feel like it's just one song kind of going on and on and you know rain and blood's a little like that too which i feel like one i thing love I, rain and blood holy yeah shit. One thing I, I think, think painkiller's the same way yeah I oh, think, I, i'm not a fan of painkiller though obviously i think rain and blood which predated this album uh i think that album because that's like 87 right rain yep. and, uh, i think that was 86 86 so yeah so it definitely predated so rain and blood i feel like rain and blood if you listen to how most of the thrash albums were produced before Rain and Blood, there's a lot of reverb, they're more atmospheric. If you notice, after Rain and Blood, after um, Rick Rubin, who back then was a good producer, uh, <laughs> emphasis He became that. like a Matt Damon, uh, yeah. not Matt Damon, Ben Affleck afterwards, where he just sits on the couch smoking pot, doing yeah. nothing, and takes yeah. all the fucking credit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, but back then, like I think that that was a very uh, innovative production because suddenly thrash. If you listen to a lot of these late '80s thrash albums, they're all a lot drier. The production, they're a little more in your face. They're less atmospheric. Like li listen to Among the Living, and then listen to this production. And you know, like what happened, like right in the middle. Rain and Blood happened, like right in the middle. Like, <laughs> I feel like Rain and Blood, and then listen to like Injustice for All. And, you know, so I just feel like 
that in even Megadeth, like listen to kind of where they were going, the direction they're sonically were going. I feel like that Rain and Blood definitely was obviously within the thrash community was these everyone was kind of paying attention and they were and also you know you had up in Seattle you had the very earliest stirrings of grunge things were getting to be a little more punk sounding and a little bit moving away from traditional metal from yeah. a sonic standpoint and getting a little more aggressive and in your face and it's just something I think about with this album and you know the, the band might say now ooh it was unfinished and all but I don't know it's kind of like I will say this for Metallica. One thing I do respect about James and Lars is they've never apologized for Injustice for All. <laughs> you know, the band... <laughs> they're, 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 they should have. They're a little they too far the other way. Yeah, yeah, no, but the other way... But no, they stick to their guns a little too much about that. They stick to their guns. Well, I agree. Listen, it was a creative choice. They're actually not lying to people. It's what they were going for. They were going for a sort of effect, you know? And obviously they... They thought it differently for the Black Album and whatever, but at the point, that that's kind of what they were going for. They were going for a very stark, minimalistic kind of treble-heavy sound. But if you listen to a lot of these albums post-Rain and Blood, this is what I'm getting at, is that it was it was suddenly very treble. Everything was very treble, very sharp and in-your-face, and it's it's in a way, it's almost like a thrash equivalent of like the... Um, Bernard Herrmann strings on Psycho, or like in Eleanor Rigby, which was inspired by that, where the music just has a very sharp sound to it. And it's a little more punk than it is traditional metal. And that's just kind of where things are moving. But, and I think Anthrax did it really well. And I think that this sonically really works, especially if you get a remastered version of the album. To me, it really works with Joey's kind of higher pitch, manic delivery, and it just has a character to it, and finale is like where it all kind of rages out, but it just has a really punk sound, and it kind of brings it all home. And to me, I don't know, you could say maybe a song here or there sounds a little unfinished, but to me, this album actually sounds very concise and very whole in a way that I don't think Among the Living does. Among the Living sounds a little more half-assed, because it sounds like, like we keep saying, like some songs sound fully realized, and then other songs just sound like, oh, this is throw another song in there just to fill up the album. Where to me, this album kind of makes a statement. I feel it has, it makes a sonic statement. And I think the, you know, the band, it's only because it was not well received and maybe because they anti-social and who cares wins weren't the best songs to release as singles. You know, I don't know. I just think that there's, I, I don't think this band, this album is half-assed as the band tries to kind of rewrite history. I think that they were going for a kind of sound on it. I think they achieved it. And I think it's awesome. And maybe even if it was an accident, well, then it was a fucking awesome accident. Because I love State of Euphoria, and I think Finale ends it on a fucking raging, rocking note. What do you think of it, Joseph? I think it's a good song. I don't, I don't like it as much as you do. I like it. It's probably my third favorite song off the album. I really, I do really like it. I think it's a good song. I think the lyrics are kind of hokey. It's like a, it's, it's a thrash metal breakup song. And I think the lyrics on it are worth... I think the Greg Kin Band wrote a better breakup song than this. Like, <laughs> lyric-wise. I do like, I think it's a good thrash song, but... And I think... I can't remember which one of us said it, but I think we misspoke earlier about how they ripped... How one ripped them off. And Justice for All actually came out 11 days before this album did. Oh, did it? Yes. Really? They no, both came not, out in, they you both sure came you're out not... 
You're not just talking about the Harvester of Sorrow single. No, they both came out in September of 88. Damn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Metallica, Metallica was September 7th, and uh, this album was September 18th. So they both were just on this kind of more stripped-down, yeah. treble thing. Just, yeah, like you said, they were kind of kind of trying to rip off Rain and Blow a little that, bit. Yeah, that's what um, I think. But, and because they were within 11 days of I cannot help myself from making the comparison. This is a worse version of Dyer's Eve. Oh, I, I see. I like it better fuck. than Dyer's Eve. I, yeah, I mean, love Dyer's Eve way more than this song. I like Dyer's Eve, uh, I like this song better, and I, it sounds like Eric agrees with me. One other thing, I actually like the lyrics to this song. Again, I, I just, love the lyrics to this song. I love it because I hear your mama calling you. <laughs> I hear your mama calling you. I hear your mama calling you. It's just, and that's the thing, Joey sells those lyrics. He just yeah. Like, he's like, he's calling Are you out. They're not the worst ones on the album by far, but I, I don't think they're that good. And I like his I little, like... Just, where he says like goodbye or later dudes whatever he yeah. says yeah. <laughs> later dudes like it, again that's just the fun the, the punk little fun thing that they throw at the end and you would never hear that really again from anthrax again after this maybe yeah. with the exception of like you know attack from the killer bees you know because yeah, persistence of time was the serious joey although still not as serious as they got with john bush you know? no but it was like that was like you could tell where that was you were telling they were heading down the perimeter they were definitely heading in that direction but you did have uh you know but you had like got the time was like a fun song oh so. god that's that's why that's the only good song off that fucking shit oh. I know it's called Belly of the Beast uh, you know uh, what's that song um, there's a lot of great songs that's how bad it is you only remember it <laughs> that was great no I mean hold on man hold on man yeah, yeah I was right Belly of the Beast kicks ass the intro to reality I think is their best instrumental uh, I I like in my world I think that's a catchy tune I gave him too much time he pulled out the CD that was the first Anthrax album I bought because my dad had the greatest hits and I loved, loved Got the Time. I thought, man, Got the Time fucking rules. This song is awesome. So like when I went to, when I had my mom take me to Circuit City to buy a CD, I'm like, ooh, I gotta get an Anthrax CD. I want to get the one with Got the Time on it. And I bought Persistence on Time and I'm like, this fucking album sucks, you know? I will say this: uh, Got the time would fit State of Euphoria better. <laughs> oh, definitely by a mile. Uh, if they replaced uh, Antisocial, Antisocial with, with Got the Time, this would be a perfect album. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I, if, if anything, the, it, yeah, they should be flipped. It kind of fits. It fits the vibe of this album more. But yeah, but listen, I like Persistence of Time. I, I think you guys. Yeah. I think everyone <laughs> in the world is too hard on Persistence of Time. I think it's a catchy, melodic thrash album. But I like this album a lot better, so there you go. Uh, yeah, okay, I can forgive you for that then. Well, and I also like uh, spreading the disease better too. So there yep. you go. They're, oh, yeah. they're definitely my top two. In a lot of ways too, I want to say another thing. It's kind of interesting because to me, it almost, with the exception of the post, you know, like we said, post Rain and Blood, like tr- treble kind of sparse production. In terms of the songs, I almost feel like this fits. Sounds like it should be after spreading the disease and among the living sounds like it should be before persistence time if you know what i mean because persist mm-hmm. because among the living is a little more serious it's a little darker it's, yeah there's some more obvious like melodic single type songs on it i don't know this song has like it it kind of sounds like they're taking a cue 
from the, the faster songs, uh, the heavier songs on spreading the disease and just going full thrash on it. A little like Rain and Blood is after the first two Slayer albums. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like this should be Anthrax's Rain and Blood after their first two albums. And if it was released before Rain and Blood, people might have thought that. If you know what I'm saying? I'm saying if this album was released... Uh, he, if it was released differently, I feel like everyone would be like, oh, wow, how cool and thrashy this album is. But because it came out after Rain and Blood, no one thinks that. And yeah. just, another, just another theory I just thought up right now as I'm talking. And, you know, it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that. I will say uh, this album was released in 88, and the big four at the time, it was Metallica and Justice for All. Slayer put out South of Heaven, and Megadeth put out So Far, So Good, So What? This and Megadeth, So Far, So Good, So What? I think are the best, like, tied for the best albums of 88 among the big four. Really? I think so, man, because I, I don't like Injustice for All. I think I'm Injustice for All kind of sucks. It's just, South of Heaven is great. I, like South all of Heaven, I will admit, South of Heaven was a grower for me. I, I'm a little bit more forgiving of it now. I do like it. Whereas, you know, I used to not like it, but I still think it's not one of Slayer's best albums and definitely the worst of the 80s. But I still say, though, man, this album and So Far So Good So What, which is the subject of an episode that by the time this episode comes out should be, you know, it had already come out by now. Me and Edwin talked about it. I think So Far So Good So What and this album, Stay Euphoria, are the best albums of the big four in 88. See, I think both of those albums have one of the best songs by either band, but the rest of the album is pretty bad. Ooh, yeah. I well, think I think I think now it's dark and in my darkest hour are two of the best thrash songs ever, and I think the rest of the album. Ironically, is they're band. ironically they all have dark in the title. They both do, yes. Yes, <laughs> it's just, I. But you know what? I, I was getting at. I'm just saying, like timing's everything. It's weird. I know. I thrash, agree. Thrash fans are very. I don't know. For the most part, weird. I think, they're bitchy and they're tough. Yes. <laughs> I'd say like like the, to the point where you listen to an album and go, if this album was released just like a year and a half earlier, you all would have thought it was awesome. But now it's just like, oh, big deal. What do you got? What are you doing for me now? This is what led to thrash had to become death metal, and the death metal has to become <laughs> black metal. <laughs> you know, it's just like, dudes, can't you just enjoy something for a few years as it is. <laughs> it's just, it's chill out. That's one thing I hate about, you know, as a big heavy metal fan, that's one thing I do hate is, like, the fact that everything has to be, like, so heavy and so brutal. And, like, people forget about, like, there's metal that's really good that's melodic. Or not all heavy metal songs, heavy metal bands have to be so brutal and so heavy or fast or this and that. Like, there's so many different shades of metal that are amazing. And I feel like so many metalheads are so close-minded where... They can't accept certain things, you know. Like, I love Thrash. I love me some Venom. I love me some real heavy shit. I, I'm not afraid to admit, I like some shit like... I love Dokken. I love Rat. You know, I love shit with hooks and melodies and stuff, you know. There's so many different shades of metal that... God damn it, stop being so closed-minded, you know. Yeah. 100%. And what do you think, Joseph? Uh, wait, we already talked. What, what do you think about that in all about the close-mindedness of thrash fans? I mean, I agree. I mean, you see it a lot. You see a lot of like the the thrash elitists that just yeah. yeah. Anything, anything that like even like even they would even point at thrash bands as being not heavy enough. I mean, <laughs> these are like the kind of people, like 
I, I'm not going to say this like, like because I know, I know plenty of people that are open-minded but also say this. These are the kind of people that like when the Black Album came out. Or like even even before, these are the people that like Ralph Vieira talks about when Fade to Black came out or when Fight Fire with yeah. Fire came out. That wasn't heavy enough. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I can't believe you put an acoustic guitar solo on yeah. a thrash metal album. But Lars joked about that. He said, "He yeah. said they, when people said, oh, people say you sold out,' sold out, and he laughed. He said, well, people have been saying we've been sold, out, sold since, out since, since the second, second album.' Album. Yeah, <laughs> like, and and I think that thrash metal fans are like, as a genre, are literally like kiss tards. Like, yeah, that they are that fanatical about thrash metal and heaviness that like. They get to the point where it's literally like unrecognizable death metal. Yeah, are you listening to music? Yeah. Or yeah, it's, it's like—is it music or? Or are you listening to a, an, uh, an airplane turbine? Like, what are you yeah. listening to? <laughs> or, or is it like I don't know? It kind of crosses over to being like sports. It's yeah. like something different. You know? like, <laughs> and, and are you listening to at this point? And I, I like Morbid Angel. I, I love the band Death. Oh yeah, me too. That's and pretty the, good. I'm and, starting and they, to slowly they, get into them. And yeah. they got shit on too with like human and the they got melodic. Oh yeah, they, they got, got more melodic. Shit. More, they got very yeah. progressive. They're actually they that's got, why I like yeah, them. They got really progressive in the '90s, like their yeah. early stuff. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, they're this amazing heavy band," and then they got progressive, and everyone's like, "What?" Everybody, they used to say this about punk rock too. They said oh, any yeah. any kind of self respecting punk rocker in the seventies by the eighties they were new wave. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you, you develop, you grow. You don't want to just be. There's a certain point, and sometimes those early albums you love the rawness and it's great. But you know, some artists they they want to evolve and yeah, bands move, evolve sometimes on. maybe for good or for better. Sometimes maybe we like it or not, but yeah. it, it just it it's natural. It's gonna happen. Yeah, and that's what I just said. I feel like stating for it, weirdly, like if, like I said, if it was released just a year and a half earlier, everyone would be talking about how just heavy and thrashy it was. Yeah. But because it was after Slayer's Rain and Blood, they sounded like pussies all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I, I agree 100%. I think if this if this was the one that would represent like 86, 87 for Anthrax, it would be held in the same esteem as Among the Living just because of when it came out. Exactly. Honestly, yeah, I think it was if you it, you could literally have released the worst album of your career at that time, and they did, and it would be regarded as a masterpiece just because it came out within the same calendar year as when all the other bands were putting out and taking when Master Puppets and Peace Cells and Rain and Blood and Taking yeah. Over and Legacy and Bonded by Blood and all that and Darkness Descends and all this stuff came out. Yeah. That's the first time it, all these yeah. albums were full thrash from beginning to end, exactly. and, and everyone was jizzing all over them. Exactly. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I think spreading the disease is a much better representation, or even this album, than well, yeah. living. Like to me, to me, this sounds like this. If this would have been right after spreading disease, everyone would have been like, "Oh, cool!" They, they yeah. it's like spreading disease. Like it has that fun vibe to it, but every song is thrashy. Whereas, I do. I, I said if you replace extension of spreading the disease. Yeah. You replace antisocial with like a different song, like maybe one of the hits, like Caught in a Mosh or Among the Living. Oh, 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 oh my god, this would be. Forget about it. Yeah. If you, take, if you take like the two over. or three good songs from Among the Living and take out like antisocial and like for me, like maybe one or two other songs, I think you would have like literally the perfect sequel to Spreading the Disease. Yep. Great. Well, anyway, we gotta wrap this up before we hit the three hour mark. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> I'll go real fast with Finale. Um, 
Finale, great song. Uh, I, I like it when band, even though you really can't top the doors with the end. I, I love it when a band ends their album with like a song and it, they have the name like Finale or something like that. That you know, something that just basically like another synonym for the word the end. Uh, I like it. It's a cool song, and I like the fact that it's like it's like a breakup song. You know, because. I, you know, I've been in a relationship like that where I was in a relationship that it was like a rebound and the relationship went out a little bit too long for like a rebound kind of thing and it got to a point where I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the hell am I still doing in this relationship? You know, it's like, like Sam Kinison said, sometimes I'd like be on a date, I'd like the, we'd be stopped at a red light and I just want to run out of the car in the middle of the red light and just leave and be like, God damn it, I hate this shit, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? So, you know, he says, uh, uh, I love the lyric, like, I drink three six-packs to just to look at your face. Like, <laughs> what a fucking burn, you know? <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's such a fun song. I love those lyrics, because it's, it's fun, it's juvenile. You know, this kind of shit you listen to, like, when, you know, it makes you feel young. Uh, you know, just such juvenile lyrics, and it's a great fucking song, too, like, musically. Uh, really fun, really, you know, great thrashing fucking song. Great way to end, like, in my opinion, what's, a uh, you know, amazing fucking album. Probably, like, one of Anthrax's best albums. Great song. There's really nothing else I can say that you guys haven't said about it. So, yeah, man, this easily, like, tied for my favorite Anthrax album of all fucking time. Just great. Hey, man. Same, same yeah. here. So, Joseph, you are a esteemed guest tonight. So, why don't you go into what you want to recommend to everyone to listen to. Hmm. Well, I was thinking about what I would want to recommend, and I mean, you talk about a lot throughout this review of different music with the Striper thing I was talking about, or movie review with like Blue Velvet or the Godzilla release, or Maximum Overdrive, and all this different stuff. But one album that we really, it, we really didn't get into this kind of discussion about this kind of music, but I think the new Scorpions album, Rock Believer. Oh my God! I think everyone who loves rock and metal music needs to hear this album. I think it's yes. a phenomenal album. I think from front to back, not a bad song on it. I think some of the best songs they've written in decades. I think Seventh Son, Shining of Your Soul, the title track Rock Believer, um, you, When You Know Where You Come From, so many amazing songs. I've been listening to this album nonstop since it came out, and I love every minute of it. I think it's just a phenomenal album, and I think it's by far right now my favorite album of the year. Dude, I agree with you, man. This... Like, the Scorpions were a band, like, after, like, Love at First Sting, and even that album was kind of spotty, I was just... Everything the Scorpions came out with after 84 just did nothing for me. And this was an album I was really kind of just... My, my expectations were very low, because I had not been into anything the Scorpions released since 84, and it blew me away. And the one thing that really made me give it a chance, and it sounds stupid, but much like this album that we just talked about was the album art. The album art looked like a classic, you know, mm -hmm. early 80s or 70s Scorpions album. It had that weird European look to it. And yeah. luckily, man, the music matched the the cover art. It was just phenomenal. And I, they've really gone back to that old school sound that they had, you know, some amazing tunes on there. Like, you know, Seventh Sun reminds mm -hmm. me a lot of, like, China White. Oh, and oh. Shining at Your Soul is just like, is there anybody there from Love Yeah. Song? 
It's just Amazing. such a phenomenal album. They really went back to that old school sound. There's not like 50 fucking wind, them trying to redo wind to change and whatnot. It's, they really went back to the drawing, they really went back to like, you know, their old sound. And I, I fucking agree with you. I love that album. And it really, uh, you know, if the Scorpions come near me, uh, I may have to check out that Chicago show because they're not coming near Indiana. So uh, Illinois is probably going to be closest show. I, I really feel like seeing them, man, because what a great album they put out. And I want to see the Scorpions. I haven't seen them yet, so great album, can, great recommendation. All I can say is God bless Mickey D. He came in that band and said, I ain't, yeah. play, I ain't playing on no 50 ballads. Fuck that <laughs> shit. I, I, I played with Lemmy for 30 years. I ain't playing on no ballads. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not doing When to Change Part fucking no. 60. No. Oh, man. Uh, Eduardo, what what do you recommend everyone check out? What you, what you got on your uh, what you got on your CD player or playlist or whatnot? Well, I'm gonna recommend because you know I've been gushing over Joey Belladonna for like three hours, so now uh, I want to give a little credit to John Bush uh, in in regards to the band he should be singing with and he is currently singing with and his real band, which is Armored Saint. Fuck the, yeah. That's the band John Bush was. That's what I agree fits with, and he's a great singer. In the same way, I love Joey Belladonna and Anthrax. I love John Bush and fucking Armored Saint. Now, I will say, I am kind of late to the Armored Saint party. They were not a band I even knew about until he joined Anthrax. Like I just, they were not under my radar. I never saw any of their videos. I think I might. I guess. I probably saw Hellraiser three, like when they're yeah, in oh, Hellraiser. Yeah. yeah, maybe Hang, that Hang Judge. Yeah, so that, I think that's that. It was either I think that was my introduction to them, and then you know he was the singer for Anthrax, and I by the by the mid nineties, late nineties, I wasn't really digging. I wasn't digging much into metal, uh, especially not older metal. I was like into a lot of uh, funk and jazz and experimental stuff and hip hop. Yeah. So it wasn't a time period. So like Armored Saint just kind of missed me, you know. Uh, so it wasn't until many years later. But many years later, I did get because generally speaking, most people say the Saints will conquer is their best album. So I got that. I got like a remastered version some years back, and I liked it. I love it now. But when I first got it, I just liked it. I said, "This mm-hmm. is good. They're a good band." Great live EP. Is it? You know, I I liked it and. Um, you know, you mean, but, are you talking about Symbol of Salvation? Yeah, actually, yeah, Symbol of Salvation. Oh, uh, yeah, not Saints Will Conquer. Yeah, that's uh, that's the live album. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's like a little not, live. Not, 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 yeah, I'll get confused. Uh, I told you I'm new to Armored Saint, but uh, I had Symbol of Salvation, the album after the live EP. Well, actually, it's, I think it's a live album, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Symbol of Salvation, and you know, and that's like from the early '90s, and everyone said that was good. And so I got it, and I liked it. I listened to it a few times, but I got to tell you, it didn't really click for me for whatever reason. I was you like, know, "Simple Salvation" was a grower for me as well, and that's like one of their. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's what I recommend to anyone, even if they're not a metal fan. That's a great album because it's got a lot of different shades on it, a lot of different styles. That's a great album, but that one was actually like, believe it or not, a grower for me. But now I, I realize what a masterpiece it is. Yeah, it's actually yeah. Now I love it, but. I don't think it was the best album for me to first go to because it didn't get me into them. And I kind of just sat on them for a while. I had that, and that was like my sole Armored Saint representation. But then, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I started to get, I heard a couple more of their songs, and I thought, you know, I should really be listening to Armored Saint more. I should give them more of a shot. 
And I hit up, you know, uh, Mr. X, and he hooked me up with their uh, entire discography. So I dived into Armor Saint a few months ago. And nice. I'm recommending, uh, and I know this is not your favorite, your favorite album's uh, Delirious Nomad, right? Uh, it goes back and forth between Delirious Nomad and Raising Fear, but yeah, at the moment it is Delirious Nomad's my favorite. Yeah, and I, well. and I do like that a lot. That's my second favorite. But the one Billy Idol's brother on the cover. Yeah, it's a, weird, <laughs> it's a weird album cover. It looks more new wave almost. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I'm going with Raising Fear. Raising nice. Fear. Album. Great album. And, and Hell Ra- yeah. Ra- yeah, Ralph Vieira said this in a video recently too. He said even though Delirious Nomad's his favorite, he would recommend Raising Fear to people new. It's and the most accessible, I think. I, that's why yeah. I'm recommending it because I could tell you, as someone who's new, who's relatively new to Armored Saint, this is the one that's connecting most with me. Like I have a feeling maybe a year or two from now it might be Delirious Nomad or may, you know or maybe it will be like Symbol of Salvation. But which I do love now. Yeah. But but I got to tell you it's and I like the first album a lot too. But I got to tell you Raising Fear is the one I've been going back to the most. To me it's it's both heavy and accessible. It's got the Leonard Skinner cover all that, but the title mm-hmm. track you know, it's got that moody song, like, starts off like a battle, isolation, but, isolation. Then gets, oh. but then gets heavy. You know, Chemical Euphoria is a great song. Um, Underdogs, no, Book of Blood. Great bonus track, Crisis of Life, I really like, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I love every song on it. And to me, this is the album, I feel like if I got Raising Fear, like, five years ago, that would have started a lot earlier with the Armored Saint. Yeah, I think the other, Symbol's just a little too subtle. In a way, I think too it's it's very different. Yeah. Like they really explore a lot of different styles, so you're really not getting a sense of who Armored Saint like actually are because you just get too many twists and turns with that album. That's more an album for if you've gotten into their early stuff. Yeah. It was also kind of like their grieving album. Yeah, like, it's a yeah. darker album. It's not that like was really crazy. them trying to. They wanted to get those last songs out from Dave Pritchard. Yeah, with Jeff Duncan joining and everything. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, that was, was really kind of a, like, a tough album for them to make. That was kind of like their Injustice so for All. Like that was yeah. pretty much. It was kind of their Injustice for All. So, so yeah, I definitely Raising Fear to me it's just like it's the most dynamic. It pops the most, just like the album cover, the fucking big night guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's it's the one that's popping for me the most. So if you want to get an armored saint as someone who's just been newly getting into them, I'm recommending that you get into them with Raising Fear. And from what I've heard, you know, I've listened to all the albums at least once now. They're all good. You know, mm-hmm. range, oh yeah, they're they... all from good to great. They're even their new, newer stuff. They're pretty consistent. John Bush is still a great singer. He sounds yeah. great. They're, they're a, one of those bands, man. They haven't put out, in my opinion, they haven't put out a bad album. If their, anything, their last one was really good. Really they're, good. They're very consistent. They might almost be too consistent for some people, which I, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like I feel like that's the complaint everyone has about Overkill. Yeah, Overkill's yeah. a little like that. It's not a problem for me. But yeah, th- where I think their albums get a little washed out because they're so consistent. Whereas there, some bands like Metallica and Megadeth, there's, in Judas Priest, there's like peaks and valleys that make their best albums really shine. Whereas a band like uh, Armored Saint, they're so consistent that they don't have a lot of albums that pop in the way that some other less yeah. consistent bands have. But if you want an album that pops, I think in their consistent catalog, Raising Fear pops the most, yeah. from, in my opinion. So I recommend and that. that was my favorite for a while until now it's Delirious Nomad. Yeah, I have a feeling that will probably become my favorite. 
later. Yeah. <laughs> but right now, it's uh, <laughs> but right now, it's, I'm still at the raising fear stage of my armored saint. <laughs> and what about then, you, Joseph? Where, where do you like lay with uh, armored saint? I'm a I'm a delirious nomad guy, but like you said, they're yeah. the, all their albums are so so good. And like you said, symbol salvation is a little harder to get into. It's 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 it's, it's a grower album. It's one of the albums you kind of got to listen to multiple times yeah. to really get into it. And I would definitely recommend for anyone who wants to get into that album, the amazing live album they put out this past year, where they do the entire Symbol of Salvation album live. Yeah, I, I got that. One. I listened to it. Yeah, it sounds great. It is amazing. And to hear that even in 2021 that they still sound that good on an album that's 30 years old, and it sounds so good live. Yeah, Rush like, is still hitting all the same oh, notes. Oh, yeah. He sounds the same. Yeah, but like, like, like you said, there's no bad way to get into Armored Saint. No matter if you start from the beginning, the the EP March of the Saint, Delirious Nomad. I would, I would definitely recommend Raising Fierce to get into Armored Saint. Though I, I completely agree with your recommendation, Edwin. I think it's an amazing album to get into Armored Saint as a very accessible album. And then if you want to either backtrack or move forward to Symbol, I think just no matter where you go in, there's a lot of amazing music to discover. Awesome. Are any of you guys seeing Armored Saint live on this upcoming Wasp tour? I'm going to be seeing them. I'm planning to play uh, Wasp and Armored Saint are playing down in Baltimore, and I want to go down, so I'm looking forward to that. Edwin, are you going to go see this tour? I don't know if they're coming to Tampa. I'll have to look into it. If they do... Uh, I got. I mean, I'm traveling to, to Illinois for it in October, and I, I if I, I travel to a show to Illinois... You know, you, you know it's a good show that, like, I need to see. I was thinking, this is the thing, is I don't know, I might be back in L.A. in the fall, so, and I think, uh, yeah. so I, I might prefer to see them in L.A., I got a lot of headbanger buddies. <laughs> yeah, it is room. a fall tour, so. It, yeah, 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 so I might. I'm seeing I, a lot of shows in the fall. So, so I'm going to wait to know exactly when I'm back in L.A., but that is one of the shows I was looking into. I'm not, yeah. I'm kind of a casual Wasp fan, I do love. Uh, I think their, we're going to play all the 80s shit, that's, that's why it's, I'm it's kind of supposed to be like an them. 80s kind of, it's supposed to be like one of those throwback maiden tours. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. I only have their I have their first two albums. I do really love the first Wasp album a lot. Yeah, so. I only like the first four by Wasp really. And, and, and Unholy Terror is really good. Yeah, that's a great album too. Do you not do you not know Headless Children, Edwin? I know of it. I sampled it once. I never I didn't really get into it, although I feel like That's maybe, my least favorite of the four eighties. Maybe I could get into it. Like I said, that I That is my second favorite. I only have their first two albums, so I I never really did the deep dive with Wasp, so... The first but, album's a masterpiece, and I yeah, think Headless Children's right there with it. Well, I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a second chance. I'll give it a listen again. Yeah. But I'd be going just for Armored Saint alone, <laughs> so, though. So would I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. That's. I mean, I'm mainly going for Armored Saint, but Wasp is a nice extra, and the fact that I think they're going to be doing a, just basically all the 80s shit is like... Uh, you know, I love to see Wasp. i never seen them, but Armored Saint's the big... The, the cherry on top that's making me go see this shit. But, yeah. I, I, think, I think the Baltimore show is one of the later shows, so I'm looking forward to seeing mm-hmm. the set list in advance. Seeing I think what, my show is in, like, out. December. Like, it's December 2nd. I think uh, I think uh, the Baltimore one's in November, so I think it's it's one of the later. I think the show start, I think it starts at either, like, the end of September or, like, October or something like that. But I think yeah. we both have towards the end of it. But I, I, I'm really excited to see... For both bands, what the set list is being. Cause, I mean, oh, Armored, exactly. Yeah. With Armored Saint, you can do no wrong, but they have so much. If Are they going to lean with the new last two albums, or are they going to throw a lot of. 
especially since they're touring as an opening act, I think they're probably going to lean towards 80s stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. going to try and get a good mix in. They're going to try to get a better mix in, but I'm, I'm definitely more interested to see Wasp set list, because that, that, yeah. that could be the make or break right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I do my recommendation, because we're on the topic of Armored Saint, I want to recommend to you, I mean, uh, if you get the chance, there's a DV- they have a DVD for Armored Saint called Trip Through Red Times. Uh, if you can find that DVD, that was like my introduction to Armored Saint. My introduction to Armored Saint wasn't an album per se, it was the Trip Through Red Times DVD. And man, there's some cool stuff on there. It has their, their music video for Can You Deliver and a bunch of great 80s concert footage. Uh, it's just all phenomenal and it's got a couple, the DVD version has some bonus, you know, Symbol of Salvation music videos. Uh, and some extra like live footage that's just amazing. I recommend that Trip to Red Times DVD if you uh, to get into Armored Saint. But my recommendation for this week uh, is a band I've really been like, you know, they're an obscure band that I really love. And I just recently watched their documentary that came out in like 2011, so I'm a little late to the game on it. But I'm talking about the documentary for We Are X, which is about X Japan which are an obscure Japanese visual kai band from Japan that I just absolutely love. You know, they got they got a little bit of sentimental value to me. You know, way back when I was in high school, I dated this Chinese girl who was super into ex-Japan. There's, like, a lot of bands she got me into. Uh, you know, she was really into Rat, which, you know, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that, you know, when me and Edwin eventually get to around to our Rat review with Mick Watkins, but... She was big into X Japan. She really loved the song Endless Rain. And she got me into the band X Japan. They're just a phenomenal, phenomenal band. And man, even if you're not really maybe into their music, I definitely recommend checking out this uh, this documentary. I think my friend Mark Allen, our good friend Mark Allen Taylor, sets on Amazon Prime. But it's called We Are X. And it's just. Man, what a what an amazing story this band has. You know, that's really. This documentary is pretty. There's a lot of moments, man. It almost makes you cry, like the some of the shit this band went through. You know the, you know the the death of their guitarist He Day was pretty tragic. Um, just the story of their their founder, uh, the drummer and drummer Yokishi uh, Yokishi. I'm probably butchering that name because I'm drunk right now. But you know his story is pretty interesting. You know he had a really rough upbringing and just the way he he handled it and translated into his music is phenomenal. Their singer, you know, later, like, right at the height of their career, ended up getting, like, trapped in, like, a cult. It's just, it's a really fascinating story that they have, and I I really recommend their music, man. A lot of people may not like it as much because majority of their lyrics are in Japanese, but if you can get past that, man, they write some really killer music, man. They got some amazing, like, just heartfelt, like, ballads, but they also do some great speed metal music, like, you know, if you like Halloween, like, early Halloween, you know, a lot of their music's a lot like that, with some great ballads thrown in, uh, if I can recommend even, like, one song by X-Japan, check out, uh, Kirani, like I said, I'm drunk, I'm butchering that name, but Kirani, um, check out the the live version from The Last Live, which is like their last performance back in the 90s before, you know, Toshi, their singer, left because he was stuck in like a cult and it was last performance with Day on guitar. If you can check that, that live performance out of that song, holy shit, that shit's just phenomenal. But 
definitely check out that documentary, man. It's really interesting. Even if you're not a fan of the music, it's it's a really cool documentary. I love me some music documentaries, but check out We Are X by you know from the band X Japan. All right, I'll go check that out. Sounds cool. Hell yeah. Well, man, Joseph, I want to thank you for joining us for this amazing, amazing Anthrax review that literally went for three hours. <laughs> I thank you, brother, for joining us, uh, being able to do this episode. Uh, and, yeah, just I want to thank uh, everyone for listening to this. If you made this far, you're awesome. But go ahead, man, leave some leave some reviews on our iTunes. We, we've been lacking on some iTunes reviews, man, so just... Go ahead, if you like this episode, even if you hate this episode, tell us why you hate it in a, a one-star review, even. We'll, we'll read this shit on air. But yeah, uh, Edwin, why don't you set this <laughs> off? <laughs> this was the length of three State of Euphorias. <laughs> yeah, for real. You can listen to the State of Euphoria album three times for the length of this episode. Uh, anyway, thanks a lot, Joseph. You, it was a great choice, and it was awesome to have you. And, of course, uh, we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you guys so much. It's been so much fun. Hell yeah. Later, brothers. Later. Tits and clits, everyone. <laughs>